Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And this is Abby Martin. Today we have on two very special guests, two people that I have been desiring to have on the podcast for a while, but I finally asked them to come on a couple weeks ago. The hosts of the True and On podcast, Brace Belden and Liz Franzak. The podcast has been incredibly prolific for only being around for, I guess, less than a year and a half, technically. You guys already have 117 episodes, which is a crazy amount of content uh, for producing in that little time. So I'm very excited to have both of the hosts of the True On Podcast on Media Roots. So welcome, guys. Hi, thank you so much. It's good to be here in the bunker. <laughs> so bef- before we get into the the, fu- the more fun stuff let me get this stuff out of the way first i know a little bit about brace's history in the music scene but how did you guys initially meet is it true what it says on wikipedia that you guys met through the local punk scene yeah <laughs> i would say like more just rock and roll than punk but i mean or than just punk but yeah i met I that's met... you saving face because you don't want to say that well, like, listen i'm trying i'm trying now. to save face for you i feel like you're not i don't want you to be ghettoized by that i mean i was in high school so it's fine yes but <laughs> it is true we did meet like we were like teenagers or i was te- yeah we were teenagers uh and like uh at Gilman, which is an old punk club in Berkeley. I was just going to ask you guys about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I have banned and unbanned from repeatedly. <laughs> Where did, so did, did you grow up in the East Bay, Liz? No, I grew up in San Francisco. But oh, my cool. friends and I would take Bart over and we would get like homeless guys to buy us beer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'd sit on the train tracks, then you go like uh-huh. listen to shitty Misfits cover bands and take Bart back. You thought you were real badass. That's yes. when Berkeley actually used to be cool. Mm-hmm. Like and yeah. used to have like the Berkeley Square, the Gilman. I mean, because I was going to ask you guys. So living in San Francisco, was there any? Was there like a cool punk or rock scene in San Francisco at that time, or was it more you would come to the East Bay to like go to shows? I feel like I would always be. I mean, there was a lot of of punks in in San Francisco, but like, I mean, specifically yeah. when I was underage. Like what we had in San Francisco is we had generator shows out on third street at this place called Walmart Cove, uh, which is like <laughs> where I went to my first shows. Uh, and then, but like, there was all these different warehouses in the East Bay. There was this place called burnt ramen in, uh, in yep. Richmond. There Richmond, was yeah. Gilman. There was a place called the hazmat. And then an, another place I can't remember. Oh, the slaughterhouse. And, uh, where the first show I went to the slaughterhouse was, horrific because i was like 13 years old and i walk into the back and there is a guy uh uh giving oral sex to this lady who's just on a couch and i'm 13 i've never nice. even like occurred to me that you could do that and i was like jesus christ wow um, i thought i heard some hardcore stories about burnt ramen that sounds this place called the slaughterhouse it was yeah it was short-lived as you can imagine i think the uh, okay <laughs> Um, I was surprised that burnt ramen lasted as long as it did. Like it, I think it finally closed after the ghost ship fire. Well, I'll but tell man, you why that, that oh, is. Really? 
It was that long? Yeah, it that yeah, long? it just yeah. closed, basically. Oh, shit. I'll tell you why it Why, was it also so bypassing a bunch of fire standards I mean, and shit, it too? was, yeah. I mean, just, everyone you know, was. 15-year-olds drinking and, like, also 200 yeah. people inside, like, a 20-person warehouse. Right. But they actually had a man on the inside on both the fire department and the police department. There was a cop who used to be in all these straight-edge hardcore bands that used to play there, like, a long time ago. And oh, he wow. had, like, the beat that, that was assigned to, and so he would never bust it. And there was, like, a fire inspector awesome. who used to go to shows there. <laughs> and so they had, like, a guy on the inside and the fire inspector, but eventually, That's you know, fascinating. Yeah. Ghost Ship really changed a lot of that. Like, none of those places. Yeah. Exist yeah. yeah, that's funny you mentioned that. I, I did hear that there was a cop who lived there and that was a kind of a similar situation to an underground venue. My friends ran where a cop happened to live in the living space there. And he would basically do the same thing. He would like Whoa. make sure that it didn't get busted, but he was also a dick. He would like want to end the shows early and stuff. So yeah. it's like a trade off. <laughs> you like, kind of have to listen to him. <laughs> yeah. He like couldn't stop being a cop. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right now, like what would you, what's even considered like an actual cool, well, I, not right now, technically because of the pandemic, but like before the pandemic in the 2000s, like I kind of completely lost track of like where the actual cool rock and punk stuff was happening in the Bay Area. Cause it seemed like the Gilman and that, I mean, especially the Gilman just com- turn, completely turned into like a, yeah. you know, sellout kind of like not yeah. Christian punk, but it had that kind of vibe to it, you know, like it was yes. real corny yeah. <laughs> and like clean and safe. Yeah. Yeah. So what it was. What, What's it was cool funny. Now. There was like, a, yeah. I mean, there was a moment where actually, um, I had just moved back to San Francisco because I was I dropped out of college and Brace and I reconnected. Although I think you were on drugs at the time, Brace. And um, correct, yes. <laughs> there was like uh, a moment, kind of during that time, where uh, like this new, like a kind of a new little music scene was popping up in San Francisco and all our friends were kind of in it. And it was like that band Girls and Ty Seagal and the OCs and like all these kind of, kind of like, kind of like a garage, um, like, I don't know what you, what would you call it, Brace? I like, would say like garage music and then some people that real like, some of them tended towards more like indie rock, which was never Yeah, you know, like shoegazy yeah. noise stuff. It was like after all the like, the like blip of like psych rock that everyone decided they were into for like two seconds. Um, and it was really, it was kind of amazing because it was this real special moment in San Francisco, like right before all the Google buses came and <laughs> everyone was still like, I mean, I think I, I, I paid like 400, no, I paid like 350 for a room in the lower hate. Wow. And like the guys I lived with had been there for like 12 years. We're in their forties. Like, Fucking, we're in like bands that opened for Metallica, just like old San Francisco shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like Jello Biafra would come over, just like weird what? shit. You know? My friend once, yeah, yeah, yeah. My friend once carried Jello Biafra from his apartment to his car like a baby. Wow. Like in his arms, like <laughs> wow. A, like dude, a baby. talk about San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco yeah. cast of characters. But it was like this moment, like right before the fucking t- like tech ruined everything, and like. You know, we all worked shit jobs. Like, I worked in a shop, made minimum wage, like, or, you know, and people bartended or worked in coffee shops or whatever. And we would, like, we called it, like, um, like barter mafia because, like, people would come in the shop and you kind of, like, give them free clothes and then you get free drinks from them. And, you know, it was, like, this little community. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, in this, like, 
like one summer, a bunch of our friends just like got famous. Like girls got really big with Chris Owens and JR, <laughs> who just recently passed, unfortunately. And like Ty Seagal blew up in LA. The OCs got really big. And then it was just like disappeared. Yeah. Like <laughs> and it was minute, like everyone and all moved these to bands LA. got big, everyone split. Yeah, everyone split. Everyone moved to LA. San Francisco immediately got so expensive. All these fucking tech people came in. Google and Facebook were everywhere. And it was like the whole city just died. I don't know. It was like, at least that's what it feels like. It was it, like almost it does overnight. Feel like that. It's like San Francisco used to be a place that touring bands would go to on like a Friday and a Saturday. And now it's like mm. a Tuesday and a Wednesday kind of thing or like a Wednesday <laughs> and a Thursday kind of thing. No, it's true. I mean, it seems like the music scene drastically changed along with the tech yeah. influx in San Francisco. I mean, it seems like the sad part is for me, cause like I come more from electronic music background, like electronic music was never more thriving in San Francisco after that sort of tech boom but it was mm. all like club stuff. Yeah. Like it almost yeah. like kind of decimated the actual like underground, you know, whatever rem remnants of the rave scene were left. Um, mm. So it's sad. It's, it's, I mean, it's not, I get nostalgic thinking about what it used to be like. And it's also saddening because um, it'll never be the same. I mean, it'll never go back. There, there'll never be like a return to the, just the original San Francisco yeah, vibe. You can never go back. <laughs> I will learning. say, Rent you can never return to tradition. Rent has dropped uh, <laughs> precipitously. I think that's the word they use, and uh, I, it's still not going to be cool again. But at least it's slightly cheaper than it was like a year ago. Really, just with the pandemic, thirty or what? down thirty three percent. What? Yeah. So like, Damn, it used nuts. to be like the kind of place that would cost like thirty five hundred to live in. Yeah, I don't think this is 33%, but this is just a specific example. Like mm -hmm. uh, a place that would cost like 3500 is now like 2000 It's insane. Wow. That's like in New York too. Like people wow. were telling me they were looking at two bedrooms that were like 2200 I was like, Holy what? Shit. Oh shit, in there's probably so many I'm like real estate surprised. scalpers. People well, yeah. getting COVID in on that was right invented now. by tenants' rights groups. And so like... <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should do. So I, that's like, I always make the joke that I always thought Jacobin should do like, um, should do like uh, total propaganda about um, fucking, what's it called, Brace? Spirit uh, cooking. Spirit cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, like, <laughs> Jacobin should get on the spirit cooking propaganda thing. But we should counter the COVID, uh, ho like COVID truthers with COVID was actually invented to to you lower know, take rents. On the property bill. Yeah, <laughs> property it was rented by art school. It was invented by art school students <laughs> so that they could move to like 16th and Michigan. It's actually just an internet art experiment. Yes. <laughs> like this a global internet art experiment. Israeli art students are behind. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. They actually want to go yeah, back they, to they art school. They took some time out dancing. I mean, those guys are selling ecstasy, right? Goes back like, to Israel. You know? <laughs> yeah. I want to try some of that shit. Uh, so were you guys already pretty focused on QAnon or like following QAnon when you started the podcast and that's why you called it TrueAnon or because I know that the Epstein scandal uh, was like the main inspiration behind it. It started with Epstein for sure. Brace and I got pretty pizza pilled before we started the, the podcast where we got really into um, we were just like texting back and forth being like, dude, check this out, like <laughs> getting really into Pizzagate. Um and then I think on a lark, we were just like, what about True Anon? Maybe you said it, Brace. Mm -hmm. And I think in retrospect, maybe we would have 
chosen a different one. I don't know. But it's, it's like stuck with people. It's hard. Probably it's, because it sounds like you and I. When, when I try to like email like serious guests and stuff, like people who like maybe have heard of QAnon, but like definitely have not heard of our podcast. I yeah, always yeah. am like, I should mention that like, it's not a QAnon podcast. Right. Although sometimes I, yeah, it's, it's I feel like I always have to be like, I'm just kind of, the name's like a joke. <laughs> yeah, it's QAnon, but true. I mean, right. it kind of, yeah. you know, it's kind of got a little ring to it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you if that's ever happened, if you've ever like actually confused potential audience members or guests just based on the, con- you know, the title and the content. Because well, on a superficial level, if people never really listened to your podcast and they maybe just saw like the episode title, yeah. they might think it's you guys are just like maybe, you know, in passing, you guys might be like Pizza Gators or something. So well, like, how do you- <laughs> I, I like uh, the Troon on like Twitter account gets added to like Q truth counts like, like, oh, or nice. like group chats all the time. <laughs> so I'm in like 20 of those. Um, and it, it's all appears to just be people. They have those like three stars in their name. Like, you know, they, they put the gold stars like in their like mm-hmm. usernames and all of it is like, they don't talk about like research or like even really QAnon. It's all like follow trains, they call it. So it's like, it's all basically like 40 people asking out the, everyone else to follow them back and then bickering when they don't do it. It's insane. What? I've never That's seen so any of them weird. link to like an article or like anything like that. And I check in on them a lot, but it's like my, my thing about that is like, I'm pretty sure like 50% of like the big right wing accounts out there are people trying to make an account on like whatever social media with a lot of followers so they can eventually sell it to like a, mm, like a right. company that's like trying to sell shoes or something. No, totally. Probably. You uh, could get like a decent amount of money. But we have yeah. like Q follow. Like we, uh, we have less now, but we used to have like a lot of people who were like Q followers. And so whenever I'd say something that was like not uh, in like that insane, like they would get like pissed at us. Like, um, <laughs> or they'd ask us to like looking at JFK Jr. and stuff. And like, I want that to be true. You know, like. Who doesn't? I would love. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I miss him. Too handsome yeah. to die. That's what I always said. George. I would love to George. Um, the his Great magazine. <laughs> uh, but uh, but but less so now. I mean, yeah. It's it's. I, I I think that we don't give off like the right deranged signals for them. We do give off different deranged signals. Yeah, and, and as long as you're like keeping it more sarcastic, a lot of them can't really read sarcasm anyway. Yeah. So they probably just think that you're. Serious. I mean, were you guys surprised at how fucking viral your podcast yes. got in such a short period of time? That's pretty surreal, right? Yeah. <laughs> how the hell I did that happen? I still don't understand. <laughs> like, how I don't like, no. Brace and I talk about this a lot, just like privately, I think. Because it's so weird. I don't, I mean, it's probably different for you guys. And Abby, you know, you've had like a TV show and stuff before. You do a lot of video stuff. But like, at least for us, it's just so weird. Like... Apparently the podcast is very popular. I see numbers. I believe it. But you record into a computer. You <laughs> right. interact with all these people on a computer. And they, like, there's no actual, sometimes, it, there's no way for me to grasp it, I guess is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, I have absolutely no concept of how popular the podcast is. Like, I don't even know. I, um, I yeah, think you just put it in the ether it. and it just like, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, I think what's crazy about it is when I first heard about Truanon was when I felt like, and maybe you guys have some comment on how maybe the podcast helped 
make this happen, where just conspiracies in general seem to be getting more mainstreamed. I don't know if it was the Epstein thing, um, but I mean, my brother and I have been talking about this shit for a long time, like, you know, talking about 9-11 truth and the deep state and yeah. dabbling in this world for like, you know, 15 years. And in fact, my entire career was undermined because of shit that I said about 9-11 like 15 years ago, you know, Famously and it's still so, like, yeah. yeah, right. And so it's, I guess it was really refreshing to see you guys out there totally unapologetically talking about this stuff, but it almost coincided with what I felt like just more mainstream normalization of these issues. Was that just a total coincidence? Do you think your podcast helped make that happen? And also like what pilled you guys initially on conspiracies? I think it's like, I think it's kind of just like in the air, sort of like, I think yeah. that like us getting sort of like popular really quickly was, ba- was sort of because of that. Like, and I mm-hmm. think that kind of happened uh, uh, because of like, I think the Epstein stuff, the way I think of it, it's kind of like a JFK moment where like, right. I think everybody, like if you talk to them, you know, like one-on-one people would be like, yeah, like obviously there's probably a deep state and like you know, like all these things happen, like, you know, something's going on with, you know, it's, it's always what people say, like there's something going on with nine 11 or whatever, like, you know, JFK, all this stuff. And I think in like, in a way that like, that reminds me a lot of the JFK stuff. I think it was almost like, like pulling back the curtain for people for a sec where they're like, especially when he died, I think that like flipped a lot of people's shit. Like, Oh my God, like it's real. Um, and then like, I, I think it was sort of like the pot, like the, the, I don't know if it's the right word, paucity of like reporting from like mainstream outlets that all pretty much just like took the stance that like, well, like the official story is probably correct. Like none of them really looked into it that hard. And so it's like, I think that was like a lot of people kind of looking for like alternative sources of information. And like it, it, it's weird though, because I think it's in general, like this year has been a year where like this stuff has gone into the mainstream, like nothing else. And like, there's whole, you know, industries basically around debunking conspiracy theories now in a way mm-hmm. that was just like the, the province of Snopes or whatever before. Now there's like every outlet, NBC has like disinformation reporters yep. and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that comes from the Russiagate stuff. Because yeah, I was gonna mention in, in, a, in a way like Russiagate was like the real like of the Trump era. That was like the big conspiracy theory that took hold. And like people, fl- I mean, it really is like one to one liberal QAnon. Like people flip their shit. I was, I mean, one of uh, you know, I think we'll probably talk about this later. But like one of Biden's like you know people on his transition time was on the committee to investigate Russia, which was like a big <laughs> David Frum project that like ended the day that the Mueller report came out. And like, of course, you know, not a lot of fanfare. No, no one really missing that they went. But I mean, that since that hysteria died down, it's like almost this other hysteria has not hysteria, but like this other, like this essence is in the air where like kind of everyone's feeling it. But like these past four years, I think like, and like, obviously there's always been kind of conspiracy theories that one or two that have been mainstream, but it's just crazy now how they're like all mainstream um, all right. at once. And like made partisan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of them. That's fucking I crazy. Think, yeah, I think the Russiagate thing, I mean, I watching that all unfold was <laughs> just incredible because at least from, I mean, you know, like from the beginning, I mean, okay, look, I maintain that 
the Clinton campaign, I think that they had some inkling that they were not winning of like pretty, pretty, you know, further out from the election than I think they would admit. And, um, you know, she had already been pretty hawkish on Russia stuff throughout her campaign. Um, my assumption was that had to do with like trying to escalate stuff in Syria or that was like a plan. Right. But, um, they, I feel like they had that narrative, like, ready to go Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i could not believe how quickly it just like fire wildfire suddenly it was like you know whatever it was 70 percent of the democrats didn't think that like thought that putin installed trump or something insane i mean just like totally like irrational totally insane um ideas and it's funny because i was thinking about it with this like trump stuff and i saw some statistic that was like it was you know I don't know. It doesn't seem like the Trump um, election narrative is catching the same, like Mm -hmm. at the same percentage or proportion as Russiagate did. And for me, at least what it tells you is like, you know, when you have the entire media apparatus like aligned and selling the same message, which is what was Russiagate was like literally, except for, I guess, Fox News and like alternative media, um, you know, from the New York Times to MSNBC and everyone in between selling this shit, like, it fucking gets in people's heads. Like, it is incredible how powerful the, like, media machine is. And I I just, like, I don't know, I know that's not really what we were talking about, but when I think about Russiagate, it's just, like, I, I can't believe how that, like, took over people's brains. Yeah. And it's, like, even to this day that people will not acknowledge what happened over the last four years with that shit, like drives me crazy. I even see it now with like journalists being like, Oh, we all kind of knew it wasn't a big deal. We all, and I'm like, no, you didn't. Right. Because I fucking remember because I, I mean, I was a nobody. Like, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I was just a person on the internet, but I fucking watched all this shit because I followed it. Like I know all about CrowdStrike. I know all about the Mm -hmm. fucking like, hacks quote unquote like because i was watching this shit and well it's these, crazy because the-, the russia shit was being built up for so long and then when Pizzagate or when the podesta leaks dropped yeah. it it became yeah. just this total defense mechanism to deflect anything that was in the leaks and then it just got siphoned into this bizarre mm-hmm. overarching narrative about putin and it was just like what the right. fuck and then it just took I mean, it really did break people's brains. Like, I even meet people who don't... If you're not, like, following following politics closely and shit, like, you just... I meet people all the time who are just like, oh, well, like, Putin, yeah, yeah that's, like, why we have Trump. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, yeah. what does that mean, though? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Also, like, my favorite fun fact about that whole thing was that, like, uh, when they, they said they found those, like, 12 or whatever it was, Russian nationals who they said were the hackers. Right. And... Uh, Mueller or Mueller, I don't ever know how to say his name. Uh, he <laughs> Mueller, was like, oh, I was we're, we're indicting them. But Mueller. it's like, well, actually, you can't do that because there's no extradition. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Funny how yeah. that works out. And then Putin fucking, no Americans know this because you'd have to read RT oops, yeah. to, to know this. But Putin was like, oh, we'll send them to you. It's not a problem. <laughs> and the U.S. was like, actually, we're okay. Don't worry yeah, about it. Right. That's amazing. That's such a, that's a I great mean, the whole thing fake. is just such a farce. Yeah, and total like, head fake. It really like wormed in people's brains in a way. And I think it is, I mean, just to get back to your original like point, I think that people really like, it's not just Trump. Like, you know, I, I think 
probably we all agree that like Trump is a symptom of a lot of things in the country and like happened because of a lot of different forces and um, build up maybe over, you know, the past 20, 30 years. And I think when you when you kind of, you know, at least for me, it's like you grow up and you watch like absolutely no accountability for selling the war in Iraq, absolutely no accountability for anyone who is responsible for the financial crisis, for anyone that, I mean, for people that lost their homes, their jobs, like their fucking savings, like everything. And you watch this like over and over and mm. over again for decades. Like it's, it's something inside you, even if you can't like access it, it's like it, 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 it it can't deal with it. And so mm-hmm. when these convenient stories come along, whether it's Russiagate or for middle class liberals who don't understand why Americans would elect someone so who they find so personally disgusting or, you know, people who are lonely and confused and don't understand why, you know, things are the way they are, they, they latch onto certain narratives. And I think that it's like at the forefront of our culture for a lot of those reasons, like I think a lot of people blame it just on the Internet, but I don't think it's as simple as that. Like there's something like deeply psychological happening, I think, Absolutely. among the yeah. American people. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's really true. I mean, especially when you look. So Russiagate was one very sort of formative cultural myth that took hold of people. And I I started to get especially creeped out by it once like people I would just talk to about politics casually you know, like while getting my hair cut or like talking to a doctor mm-hmm. would bring up Russiagate, like as if it was yeah. completely real. And that's when I really realized it had gotten to a critical mass, like really toxic level that you can't, uh, you can't really groom people out of that at that point. It's, mm. it's really ingrained. And that brings me back to this idea of 9-11. It, it is such a strong and pervasive cultural myth, not just the event itself, but what it produced, which is this sort of perpetual war state of the war on terror, normalizing, you know, perpetual mm-hmm. war, drone wars, all the types of covert wars. It's mostly background noise now, even for leftists, frankly, I feel like mm-hmm. that sort of anti-war on terror spirit, people sort of got kind of got exhausted over time. You don't really see much yeah. pushback on that. But like before you guys got um, and I and I don't really know your evolution on this, so maybe you can tell me a little bit about it. Like, first, do you guys remember the amount of taboo and even like shame that was leveled on anybody, you know, espousing things that could be characterized as nine eleven truth and sort of the left activist scene back in the day? And what? How did you guys come to the place that you are now with just nine eleven specifically? And did you did you in the past? have that sort of knee-jerk reaction that, you know, a lot of leftists still have against the subject. Or, and I wanted or to add really quickly. I wanted to add really quickly. I mean, it's it's crazy because back in the day, this was like an intellectual movement that was being espoused by many academics, you know, even people like Van Jones were on yeah. board with the new investigation. So it's it's crazy how much more mainstream it was at the beginning and how mm-hmm. much it's just become a point of ridicule sense. It's that whole history has been erased. Well, so for me, at least I was, I was 11 when nine 11 happened and I was 
when we invaded Iraq, I was like 12, I think 13. And I remember going to, I went to a lot of the protests, like all my friends were going, I didn't really get what was going on. And like, you know, I just thought it was cool. And like, my friends were like anarchists and all this stuff. So, you know, we went to all these things, people got arrested, all that stuff. And, uh, at the time I was like, yeah, the WMD thing is fake, but like, I didn't really think that much about nine 11. I was just like, uh, I don't really get what happened. Like, it seems like, I don't know who Al Qaeda is. It seems pretty bad. Um, I don't know what the fuck Afghanistan is. And as I got older, <laughs> as I got older, it's like, I, I, I knew a lot of people who were really into nine 11 stuff. I mean, I got, I'm sure you guys remember that when that documentary loose change came out and like, of course, everyone I know kind of became like an expert on it overnight. Uh, right. but as like time sort of wore on, like you're talking like the same sort of thing where people got kind of fatigued talking about the war on terror. It's like at the same time, like the 9-11 stuff was really edged out of like what people were like acceptable, what was acceptable to talk about. And so by the time I actually really started caring about politics, it had pretty much been totally erased or like consigned to like, uh, you know, kind of the more wing nutty sort of people like or someone who'd stand up at a media and start talking about stuff. Um yeah. When I was like 21, I read this book on Gladio by a guy who's pretty out there himself. Uh, I can't remember what his name is. The book's called Unholy Alliance. Uh, not the Peter Lavenda book. It's like- Oh, okay, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> another book Gladio. called Unholy Alliance. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I, I listened to it on audio tape at a flower shop I worked on. I was like, whoa, they, the CIA gave the Catholic Church money to run drug? It's like, it's... And, <laughs> that I was like oh yeah I guess kind of anything's possible um and I I don't know I it just like I I, as I I basically like it took me a long time to come around to thinking that there was more to it than like they knew and let it happen but once I read or once I listened to that book I I, for some reason that's kind of what clicked on me and I was like yeah, they probably did it. And then once I like started actually learning more about it, I'm like, oh yeah, they definitely did it. And it's like, it's insane because like, I mean, I think a lot of people were, were like how I was, where it's like, you're sort of willing to accept that they knew, but there's like a weird line where you won't accept mm-hmm. that like, it's more than oh, yeah. that they knew, you know? Even That's though, even though if JFK, they knew they let it happen, it's like letting it happen is making it happen. So exactly. What, yeah. You know what I mean? I, if so, if my, if, you know, if, if, if someone I know is going to shoot someone in the head with a gun and I'm standing there and I can take that gun from them, right. with n- basically no repercussions. And in fact, I will be hailed as a savior and I let them shoot them. And then I, uh, invade Iraq. It's, it seems like, you know, and like, it's, it just seems so like, and I think a lot more people are sort of like came into politics after it was already like that campaign to make it taboo had sort of like Mm -hmm. gone out of vogue. And so now I think that there's actually a lot more people who are sort of willing to, um, to, to, to accept that like, obviously the government has never told us the official, the real story basically about anything like this. And so it's like, why would they? I mean, I mean, it's it's just even to take the basic premise that nine eleven was the greatest thing to happen to George W. Bush and his sort of like you know a crew of fucking uh, people in the White House and all the businesses they were associated <laughs> with. I mean, if he didn't do nine eleven, then he's a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you said, uh, Robbie, you mentioned that you said like uh, the anti-war kind of spirit is like totally gone from the left. And I think that's really true. And I think, Brace, what you just said about coming into left politics after that, after the 9-11 stuff had been excised, like, 
I think one thing is that, I mean, at least for me, like, you know, the, the Iraq protests were really formative. I was really involved in all that stuff in San Francisco. Um, and that felt like, I, I think that's actually the tail end of something. Like that was like yeah. the last gasp of like anti-globalization, anti-war mm-hmm. movement. And then you had this like weird interim because, Obama, you know, with Obama and everyone being like, oh, wait, never mind. Maybe things are fine. Draw down. He's drawing down. <laughs> yeah. Makes this. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, and and when Occupy happened, it you know, one, it was after, like you, you rightly point out, that they had excised all the all the truthers from the left or demonized all of that. And, and it had it had no base in any kind of anti-war um, history. And I mean, because it was a it was centered around something different. But in that way, it kind of marked the start of something new for the yeah. American left and like a new trajectory. And I think we're very much still living in. I mean, we were just talking about this on the podcast about there being a kind of straight line from, you know, Obama, Occupy, Bernie where we are now mm-hmm. and yeah. that we're still very much living in whatever we want to call that trajectory. And I, I, you know, I'm wondering if the, you know, Iraq and, and to some extent, nine 11 were part of like a kind of a different, like a different like, bracket. Like the end of the globalization, anti-globalization movement, as opposed yeah. to the beginning of whatever yeah. we have now. That I mean, when was sense the last me. time you heard anyone on the left talk about globalization? <laughs> Right. I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but it's like kind of funny because uh, I mean, I don't even know if anyone on on the left knows about like the TPP, which is the next phase of Mm -hmm. of mass globalization and will be coming back under Biden, you know? It's true. Yeah. I mean, I remember we were doing a Media Roots broadcast from Occupy like the day or two after Obama bombed Libya. And I remember Abby and I were just like astonished and how disconnected the whole thing seemed. There wasn't even anybody with any signage whatsoever. You know, it was just, yeah. it was completely decoupled from foreign policy or the current presidency. And I remember just being blown away by that and still kind of am. But you're right. I mean, it, it does seem like we're still in sort of this era after Occupy and Obama. And that's where the, I, I agree with you. It does feel that that's what the left is still sort of in. And I, mm-hmm. I would describe it as almost being stuck in a way. I mean, yeah, it's it not... feels like a mud or something, maybe yeah. a quicksand. <laughs> well, it's also this weird trajectory from the people who, what I felt was more of like a bipartisan, not coalition, but like an effort um, for 9-11 accountability and mm-hmm. I guess the 9-11 truth movement in general. And I've seen the vast majority of those people embrace Donald Trump. Yes. <laughs> which has been really bizarre to me. It's like, dude, this is a sitting president, like the CEO of the U.S. empire. And you're like, I don't understand how, how that mindset evolved and how a lot of the people who were involved in like, um, I don't know, just a larger movement in general that were like out at these protests became Donald Trump sycophants. So I think it just goes along with the partisan nature of how 9-11 almost became like yeah. a right wing. yeah thing in people's minds. And that's why I think a lot of the liberal contempt for it and for truthers in general, it's like you're siphoning energy from like real issues and shit like that. Mm-hmm. They, they see it as a Absolutely. joke and they see it almost under the umbrella of the Donald Trump cult. And in the same way that they see QAnon, I think they're just yeah. like, oh, like truthers are the same as like these people and like Sandy Hook people and all this shit. And it's just really, really damaging because conspiracies are absolutely real. 
you're erasing reality and also like a very important facet of history to understand, like in the deep state well, too, would, you know, the deep state yeah. is somehow like Clinton and Brennan. Yeah. Right. Only. <laughs> I would add Epstein to that thing. I mean, the right really took Epstein real quick. Yeah. Um, and yeah. they latched onto that and they pretty much owned it um, almost immediately. It was, it was really upsetting to watch actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that, I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't be a good conspiracy theorist if I didn't suggest that there were some uh, idle hands <laughs> involved in <laughs> some of those projects. I mean, I don't think that it's a coincidence that a lot of people that were basically excised from the left at, because they were truthers or whatever, and then found a home where, I mean, if the only place where you can talk about 9-11 is on Alex Jones, mm-hmm. and suddenly Alex Jones is talking about how Donald Trump is also, you know, going to take on this and all these other things, you know. Um, I mean, and, you know, I, you know, Robbie has lots to say about this, too, but Trump, Trump's image as created by Bannon and then fed into these, um, I think, like megaphones to places where conspiracy, like people who were in the movement or whatever now are. And I think that's how it happened. And it felt yeah. more authentic than fucking Hillary Clinton. Like, are you out of your mind? So, I mean, I don't really blame people. I mean, I usually don't blame people in general. I'm a lot, I'm much mm-hmm. softer than I probably should be. But I think that I, I mean I think there was a con, like a concerted effort. Like I don't think that this happened just because of like I don't know. I I I I can't imagine that there wasn't some kind of effort to rid these people and put them in obscure places um, on purpose. You know. Yeah, that 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 strikes me as 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 correct as well. Like that it's the way that that has all kind of been folded into the Trump coalition too, and like neutralized in that way, like those people, like that was like excised from the left, but it's also sort of been just like diffused into the right where it's like Mm. the right has this general, like anti deep state, whatever attitude, but it's not really like, it's, it's a false analysis in the fact that like you're saying like, yeah, it's only like Clinton and Brennan are in the deep state and like Trump is actually fighting the deep state. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's the whole thing. It's like, you see it with when people talk about how Trump is anti-war, these people are talking about how Trump ended the Patriot Act or something like this. It gives this sort of cover to Trump and like it, and it, 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 that, that, that strikes me as really incorrect. And in its essence makes a lot of people who would otherwise be sort of anti-government pro-government. Look at the militia movement, Right. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, granted, the militia movement was basically like, you know, you know, that old thing about how like the Communist Party USA was like, you know, 50 percent feds at the end of it. But it's like the militia movement, of course, also heavily, heavily, heavily infiltrated since like the 80s. But like all of those <laughs> anti-government militias are now pro-government. Like when uh, when Essentially, yeah. <laughs> like it's crazy to me. It's like they're now like now, now, now these 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 militias aren't like. Of fighting against the state, it's they're fighting against only a certain part of the state, and that's the, sort of what we've seen on the right too. Is like in a way, like it strengthened parts of the state because now these people who would otherwise be like, "Holy shit, yeah!" Like DHS is flying planes over these cities, and like you know they're taking all this biometric data. They like it. it they've almost uh, absorbed the war on terror narrative, where they're like, "Actually, it's good that they do that." Like. It's good that they, you know, hold citizens incommunicado and like don't actually charge them with anything. And it's 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 really wild to see because like here's the thing: 
I don't want some fucking stupid militia man to be, you know, set up by the feds and sent to prison for the rest of his life because some informant got him to make some dumb plan he never would have acted on. I don't want that to happen to them, you know? And like, it's, it's, I don't want that to happen to anybody. I hate the federal government. And like, <laughs> it's like, like, and it's like, it, like you're saying, like, Abby, you said earlier, like, it's the CEO of the empire. That's the thing that's so crazy to me. It's because it's like the U.S. government isn't, doesn't like change its nature depending on who's in charge. Right. It's the fucking yeah. U.S. government. It's like, right. it's like, it's like, there's not like going to be a good CEO of ExxonMobil. <laughs> I think the thing that's like, so like such a bummer is that, you said a lot of people that would be kind of like sympathetic or maybe like, you know, wouldn't, you know, yeah, sympathetic or interested in mm. what the left had to say about these issues. Like after JFK and Vietnam, Watergate, all of these things, Iran-Contra, the left was able to really tie what people would call like conspiracy theories or the deep state or understanding the kind of, um, you know, let's say parapolitical apparatus that governs the world and particularly in the United States, like they were able to tie that to, I think quite effective or not effectively, but you know, easily to a critique of capital and like create and like, you know, there's a left narrative there of how these, the state operates for imperial gain across the world and increase and, you know, ever increasing uh, capital accumulation. And now that like that is completely gone from anyone who talks about conspiracy, like what we would quote unquote call conspiracy theories. And it's, you know, even when we talk about like deep state or 9-11 or, you know, even the stuff that like QAnon covers that again, like the, you know, the thing that sucks about QAnon is like there's kernels of truth yeah. in all those things, you know, like there is a deep state and like, you know, Obama did get the FISA courts to spy on Trump. Mm -hmm. Like, that is true, you know? And, like, it, rather than, like, rather than kind of saying, yeah, these things are true, and this is why our, you know, it shows and lends to our critique of the state and the way that the world is governed, it's just, like, completely left to the right to basically turn it into either, like, a, a libertarian, just anti-government, so there should, you know, don't tread on me kind of, you know, individualist, like basically extreme liberal narrative um, or just like into this like perverse, like, <laughs> like weird patriotism where there is a good, like a good version of the state somewhere deep down. And, you know, sometimes you root for the NSA and sometimes you root for the FBI or, you know, whatever it is. And I just think it's like, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I think it's like a profound, profound shame and loss. Like the left just doesn't seem to be able to offer any explanation for anything that happens in the world. <laughs> like, right. I, I just really think that. Yeah. I don't where's know. the intellectual curiosity? Yeah. Yeah. You make a really good point, though, about decoupling it from just capitalism in general and how mm -hmm. that could potentially be, you know, I mean, obviously is driving a great deal of these conspiracies. And one I like to sort of go back to in my mind is a very old one, which is the Smedley Butler war is a racket, um, which is very much rooted in the idea that war or a lot of the war was revolving around protecting corporations and capital. Um, and that is something odd that the left has largely lost sight of. I mean, we, we do hear a lot of talk still about the military industrial complex, but not as much of the nuts and bolts or the specifics of that, just more of the overall concept. But I feel like 
you know, unless you're really tracking the think tanks and the defense companies in that regard, it's kind of more, more just like a fun, I don't know, cathartic thing to talk about rather than something super useful. And it needs to go deeper than that too. Like it needs to, like, for example, even just the COVID talk right now, you know, we're getting a lot of conspiracies about Bill Gates and Fauci, but not as much talk that goes deeper into the deep political level about like the pharmaceutical companies and how they're pulling strings and shifting around the narratives right now, because one would have to assume that they're going to be the ones who are going to be largely uh, probably the most powerful players plugged into the fallout Mm -hmm. (laughs) from the situation in a lot of ways. So um, you would, that's where I would like the left to be more focused on. And even like, let's just briefly talk about voter fraud because I was just discussing with Abby last night, like the the documentary Hacking Democracy that was on HBO in 2006. Um, Bev Harris, who made that documentary, was sort of, uh, she was very much a friend of the left. She would appear in all these more fringe left media outlets and things like that. And now we just hear, you know, Michael Flynn's lawyer going on Fox News and, and mentioning Dominion all the time, which does seem like an interesting aspect of this to research but at the same time i'm watching her talking about it thinking like serious people are going to see this and think it's a joke yeah now that doesn't that doesn't make any excuse for people's lack of curiosity but you know if i zoom out from all this i put my tinfoil hat on it does seem like some of it is intentional (laughs) to the level of actually discrediting a lot of potentially real you know avenues of investigation that people should be looking into and that's Another interesting angle of it. Um, even let's even just take Pizzagate. Like the actual kernels of truth in Pizzagate are really compelling, but the overall narrative that the right sort of weaved about it makes it seem silly and you know completely cartoonish. So that's where it's. I guess that's what's really interesting to me is how do you actually like go beneath that layer and and actually pull some of these things out and show them seriously. And, you know, try to show real connections. And that's something I think, I mean, you guys do very well on your podcasts. It's something we try to do, but it just doesn't seem like there's very many people who are doing that in an authentic way. Because the other side of this is clickbait. It's very, yeah. there, there is a conspiracy industry, you know, and Alex mm-hmm. Jones, you know, partly, largely responsible for creating it. A lot of people follow in that lead. Um, and I know it just... I just went off a complete tangent. I, I had a question somewhere in there that I can't even remember. Um, well, that just really quick. I mean, I it's so funny because I just tweeted something right before we jumped on this, which was like some some article in the Hill about um, Michigan certifying their election results, and or one county in Michigan or something. And um, I guess they finally there was like a unanimous decision. And they, in the article, this is what it said. Republicans had refused to certify the election after some absentee ballot polls, poll books in Detroit were found to be out of balance. But liberal lawmakers and activists flooded the panel with criticism, given that a similar mismatch in the August primaries and general election in 2016 did not prevent the body from certifying the results. And it's like, wait, 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 what is, so you're saying that literally there was the same complete discrepancy in, in the prior two elections, which was that there, the, the, you know, the absentee records are totally out of whack. And rather than say, wait a second, let's look into what the fuck is going on in Detroit with these voter counts, um, that, nope, that just means that we should just move on. I mean, it's like completely crazy. It's completely crazy. That no one even flags that as something that we should like, 
you know, let's raise our hand and say, wait a second, what's going on here? Yeah, well, you just mentioned, I think it adds an ext- a significant amount of more fuel to the sort of right-wing conspiracy narratives about this. And I don't mm-hmm. say conspiracy narratives, meaning that they're completely impossible. I mean, obviously, voter fraud, voting machine hacking is possible. But like by the media dismissing it to the degree that they are and being like, there's zero evidence for any fraud of any kind, like across, you know, blanketly, it just adds more fuel to the other side to be like, no, there is the this, this, this. So that's why it's strange to me that this more like neoliberal media class has chosen to like basically try to erase these other narratives and pretend that they're just completely baseless. Let's not talk about them. And let's actually even encourage censoring them. Like mm-hmm. that's yeah. a strange level it's gone to because this claim about the election is disputed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean like what the <laughs> fuck is that even going to do? Like, well, it adds legitimacy to them, you know, yeah. because then their whole mantra is that um, they are being censored and that Silicon Valley is, is the real, mm-hmm. like, you know, the tech yeah. overlords who are the leftists who are trying to censor all the conservatives. And like, it really does help all of that. And it really helps the whole Trump base too. Um, and yeah. that, that was what was so bizarre about the Hunter Biden censorship. It was just like, yes. why oh the God. fuck would you do this? For a lot of reasons. You had, you had, you had a <laughs> Facebook insane. executive get on, uh, you know, get on an interview and say like, oh yeah, like, well, we, you know, we didn't act like Twitter. We didn't, you know, take it down, but yeah, we, right. we made sure Suppress that its, the its reach was cut. Yeah. Which is just so crazy. That's like a normal thing that they do now is that like, right. they suppress the algorithm and they do that for a lot of different, you know, I, I, I have friends who had like, you know, worked for news sites where they're like, oh, one day, you know, a few years ago, it was like their traffic was cut in like a third. Uh, oh yeah, it's happened yeah. to so many people, and it's mm-hmm. like it happened a lot during RussiaGate to a lot yeah. of people too that were questioning it, and it permanently stayed. Like it hasn't. It's not like Google's like, okay, no. now we put the now we put the more fair algorithm back in. It's like, no, this is how it's going to be forever. Yeah, permanently exactly. changed. Like antiwar.org yep. is yes. now like yep. a Russian disinformation. Yep. You know, World it's got that check Naked capitalism yep. was naked capitalism. It's fucking yep. nuts. Yeah, and you so had a guy that's so crazy because the only people talking about this are the fucking conservatives yeah i'm like you're gonna let ted cruz like what yeah you're gonna let ted cruz fucking talk about this like are you out of your fucking mind it's like i just don't understand any of it like what did obama fucking what did obama say like yesterday he was like he said like literally the internet is the single biggest threat to our democracy and i was just like stupid cunt yeah (laughs) Uh, i mean the crazy thing to me is like (laughs) With the Hunter Biden stuff, I got a lot of weird feelings about that because like there was nothing. I mean, okay, the one thing in that story that's probably untrue is the hard drive thing. Like, I don't think that that happened. Um, Maybe it did. I don't know. But like, for some reason, I kind of think it did. You mean Uh, dropping the laptop off? Yeah, that was weird. Nuts. It's it's maybe it happened. It just seems so like perfect that like i i don't know uh but like i have no reason to, i i get, i have no reason to believe it didn't happen except just a gut feeling so uh, as far as i know this is a real news story right like this right. is an actual story about a real thing that happened this is if you want to kind of zoom out a story about the son of a guy who put a lot of people in jail for smoking crack smoking crack (laughs) like that i mean if there's one thing that a liberal loves it's like look this uh homophobic republican congressman has been sucking some dick and like this is (laughs) this is their version i mean this is like it's it's you know it's sort of astounding to me i mean think about if eric trump i 
don't want to envision this, but you know, bear with me for a sec. If there was, why a, did you go with him? Oh, fine. God, he's like the worst well, one. Which to envision. one can I go with? The other one is the other one's like eight, and then there's Donald J. Trump or Donald Trump Jr. They're both bad. If Eric, yeah, Eric Trump is very weird looking. Though. Yes, yeah, if Eric Trump and his, you know, was was was. It, you know, his face retracted even further into his neck, negative chin space at this point, uh, lying back on a couch, getting a foot job from somebody and smoking crack while watching the Colbert <laughs> Report. I'm sorry. I think that would be front page news a lot of different places. It and would it, be in the New York Times for sure. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. And like it was this like New York crimes. Like <laughs> we saw this <laughs> concerted effort to squash that story. And I still for the life of me, like can't i don't know if they're doing it out of like obviously there's you know a partisan angle to it but like there has to be another angle because i've never seen something like that so yeah. baldly and blatantly just suppressed in my life and it's like it's real new and then they, they were able the biden team was able to call it russian disinformation with zero pushback because how could it be disinformation he's smoking crack like, right, that's we not, see it. Yeah, exactly. Like, what am I being disinformed of? <laughs> is he a hologram? Like what? Exactly. And then it creates these weird feedback loops where the mainstream media will report on the censored, you know, like the QAnon accounts being taken down, and all the shit. When mm. all when these purges happen, the left is also affected. Like, yeah, Antifa, Antifa accounts were removed, or like you know, like you were saying, naked capitalism when the algorithm changed on Google and wiped out the search results for so many dozens of anti-war websites, no one reported on that. And it just keeps getting worse. Kamala Harris opened her campaign during the primaries <laughs> with, we're going to kick Donald Trump off of Twitter. <laughs> like, that was the thing. And she is now going to be eventually the president of the United States. Like, it is so <laughs> fucking crazy to me. And, like, this is fucked up, but I, in some perverse way, like I think the Republican Senate will probably save us from a lot of the censorship stuff that they wanted to push through because they will be like that the Democrats wanted to push through with tech companies. Um, like, I don't think it's a coincidence that Obama is saying that the Internet is the greatest threat to democracy or whatever. And you hear that literally around the world from all the IMF guys and all the World Bank guys and everyone at the ECB and whatever. But like. Because the Republicans will be able to make it some terrible culture war issue, even though they would do the same thing if they were in power and it was a threat to them. I mean, I don't think any of them have any scruples about anything. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I think it'll perversely, like, save us <laughs> from perhaps some of the stuff that the Democrats would be egged on to do. I mean, there was, like, AOC was, like, tweeting, like, we're going to keep a list of, like, Trump supporters. It's like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? It's like total crazy. Everyone just has like crazy brain. I don't get it at all. Yeah, it's it's really interesting how the conservatives have been able to turn this into a sort of theatrical culture war and then brought it to the hill and bringing on like Jack mm -hmm. Dorsey and mm -hmm. Zuckerberg. But one of the like I was waiting to see for a while what it was what actual policy was yes. going to materialize into because, you know, one of the problems is you can't regulate or like pri like conservatives would never be like let's let's uh you know turn oh, this into yeah. a government agency let's break it apart like that's yeah, more yeah, of like yeah. a liberal thing so what they've actually seemed to turn it into is something that could actually kind of feed into the the liberal model in a way where they're saying bring back section 302 yeah absolutely which, is, which makes these which makes social media companies 
more liable for posting certain types of content. Oh, section two thirty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, two thirty. Yeah. yeah, sorry, not three two. Yeah. It makes um, them publishers, correct? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So, yeah. like, if that's the model moving forward, then like, then basically the social media. I mean, social media will get even more. Um, Absolutely. Like censor driven, you know, to avoid liability. So that's that's just sort of weird that that it just kind of they're feeding into basically both the same end goal in a weird way. Yeah, um, my my thing is is like, you know, people always talk about how Trump's against big tech. All these Republicans are against big tech. It's been four fucking years. Arrest Jack Dorsey or something. Like, there's been, there's been nothing. <laughs> it's like the whole. It's, it's like the whole. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like their whole thing about like you know Trump's against this and Trump's against that. Yeah, and like, right. They never do shit. Like, it's it's insane to me. You know, like they have these endless fucking hearings on the Hill. Like maybe they'll, uh, you know, pass some law, this or the other, but like it's, they, they never will actually do anything to like, for instance, like go up against Google's algorithm or something like that. Like it's, it's, it's sort of astounding to me. It's like, it, it does seem like theatrics, I guess. Like they, 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 there's no real interest in actually like doing anything because I mean, probably for a variety of reasons, these companies are incredibly powerful, you know? I mean, there's not, they don't even try to tax them, for Christ's sake. You'd think you'd start with yeah, that. Right. Like, <laughs> Well, all the politicians are just bought bought and paid for by all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, we've got, like, President, you know, DuPont. <laughs> we've got yep. Vice President Silicon Valley. We've got, and, like, you know... Yeah, we've got Speaker of the House, also Silicon Valley. We've got Senate Majority Leader, or whatever he will be, maybe Minority, I guess we don't know yet, uh, New York Bankers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like almost, a, they used to try to hide it, at least yeah. a little bit. It's Not a so much anymore. It's they don't even They don't even care. Mask off. <laughs> I mean, it seems like Google actually gets some of the least heat among yeah. the Silicon Valley companies, when they should get the, probably the most. I mean, yeah, Facebook yeah. and Twitter are horrible and shaping our reality tunnel, uh, you know, in these very extreme ways. But Google, um, you know, they, I, I, it's strange how little they're being talked about right now, because a lot of the stuff they're doing has more of a hidden hand approach. We, we don't, we can't see the obviousness of when they're deranking, you know, like a conspiracy video about yeah. anthrax or 9-11, yeah, yeah. which they do constantly now. Like you can't even find, on the first or second page of results anymore on YouTube or Google, most of the things you used to be able to find a couple of years yeah. ago. It's like you um, can't you can't find New Pearl Harbor or anything like that. Like it's in there, yeah, it's, but you have to like really like go yeah. through it and look for it. And that's yeah. that somehow that's been their remedy of dealing with it. They're like, well, if we just hide it from the front pa- the first page of results, then people won't scream loudly about censorship, and most people probably just won't notice. And they that calculation proved to be correct. And that to me is almost more creepy than what Twitter and Facebook are doing because, and I don't know, and that you don't see very much of that entering into the culture war. And that's, I think, you know, we need to have, we need to try to have a bipartisan discussion basically <laughs> about mm-hmm. how dangerous this is. Um, yeah. And it may be too late to do that, you know? Uh, but I, I, that's why I, I encourage people on the left to talk about this more and not be afraid to be come out and be anti the idea of deplatforming. It seems like there's so much pressure yeah. You know, it's mm-hmm. almost like a mob mentality where you're supposed to cheer on every time an Alex Jones or a Milo Yiannopoulos gets taken off Twitter. But it's like, how could they? How could so many people just not see how dangerous this absolutely is? Because um, they're small-minded. I don't know. I just think that they don't have any like. 
I, I don't I, I don't know. It's all action onto one thing, and then the next thing, and then the next thing, and the next thing. There's absolutely no thought given to any of it. And I, you know, I do think that social media fuels a lot of that kind of thinking. Like because of the like rapid nature and the way that like, you know, Twitter works and the way that it like rewards certain kind of statements and you know you get all the likes and you get the dopamine rush and you get the followers and you get whatever like it fuels a kind of um uh you know there's there's material stuff undergirding this but it it reveals a like real polarization that's happening not just like materially but also in like attitude and the way that we kind of um i don't know people like position themselves even rhetorically absolutely yeah. i think there's a lot of you know, people like to talk a lot about the idea of, oh, you're not supposed to do wrong think or, you know, you'll get canceled. But I think like the thing that I'm more concerned about right now is like the not just the concept of self-censorship, but like censoring your own thoughts like that's yeah. I feel like we're actually in that territory now in a way that is just kind of unprecedented. Yeah, that's like I've never experienced before in my lifetime. I mean, I'm you know almost forty. It's not really I haven't lived that long, but it still does seem like a relatively new thing. Even you know the internet's been around for a while, and it hasn't been this bad until now. Um, and even just the idea of deplatforming, like you know, I was just discussing this um, with someone the other day, where it's like bringing someone on your podcast or platforming someone who's already been deplatformed somewhere else could be seen as a risk to your yep. own platform. And I feel like people are probably already internally calculating which people they want to bring on their programs because of that, you know? And that's, I just right, think even that to that's challenge disturbing. Them. I just don't understand that. Like people get, I mean, I've seen people crit, like say shit about me just for people I follow on social media. And it's like, they're like, <laughs> you know, oh, I can't believe you follow this person. And it's like, who? But I, but I follow the president. And I follow, uh, I follow a lot of people I don't like or don't agree with yeah, or like whatever. Like I follow a lot of crazy things because I want to see a lot of diverse perspectives. How else do I fucking know what's going on? And like this idea that I, I just like for the life of me, I cannot understand people that, you know, I mean, you see the, the fucking shit with like Spotify employees wanting to get Rogan off of Spotify right. or whatever. It's like this idea that like, there is a right think or a right person or whatever. And, or, you know, even the shit at the New York Times and the op-ed page and these like, you know, only certain things can be published or, or whatever it is. I, I th th That drive of like, you know, we all of right think of like single-minded narrative of it's all like making sure that we're all like reading the right things and thinking the right things. And there are no kind of um, dissenting opinions coming in to shake things up is like, pervasive mm -hmm. it's it's totally wild to me and you see it in just even just little things like i say like someone's saying like why do you follow that person it's like i don't know because they say weird shit yeah and then you when know? you're, like, when you're told that it's not the right way to think then like then we're surprised that people have just a severe detachment on reality in general yeah. mm -hmm. it's like you yeah. like you were saying you're like rejected and so the rejects go into alternate routes uh, and they find their own holes in the internet where it's like Dude, well, you're not accepted in this mainstream liberal yeah. doctrine. I mean, Google, amazingly, is like the biggest lobbying force on the Hill right now. Yeah. Basically removing YouTube pages now, like with just totally arbitrarily, several people that I know just in the last month have had their entire life's work removed from YouTube with no warnings at all. 
Um, and it's just such a slippery slope and absolutely insane that liberals cheer this on. And then they'll like look and they're like, oh, well, he was talking about like masks. So, you know, and it's like, who fucking cares? Like, what are you talking yeah, about? Masks, where, which, where by you the way, the Fauci line? was saying just just months ago, Fauci was saying that no one should wear masks. It's, it's like yeah. crazy. Come it's on. crazy. It, yeah. And what was that, Robbie? What was that conspiracy movie on YouTube that they kept removing? And it's pandemic? like, when you keep re- yeah, when you keep removing these movies, there's, people are going to be like, yeah. oh my God, like there's something, this must be true because why would YouTube go through the trouble of yeah. removing this movie? Therefore, everything in it is is fact. So, so it's like, what they what do they call that? The Streisand effect? Yeah. Where then it becomes like the story about mm-hmm. removing it. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, Liz, Liz was just telling me that there's some new documentary in France that's kind of like sort of similar oh, thing. Oh, yeah. And they, it's called they, Hold Up. And they're like, they're like the government's taking, like getting it taken, taken off. And it's like, there's no wonder that these things, you know, catch on so much. And it's also like, what drives me crazy too is like, it is... I guess the arbiter, like everybody knows that the media lies to them. And like, mm-hmm. I've, you know, like there that you can see it kind of like even just the fact that people use the term MSM or whatever now is yeah. that sort of denotes like a distrust in the mainstream media. Um, and like, the, 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 like you can see them sort of panicking with that. The problem is, is that like, there's also, you know, that terrain of like alternative media or like, you know, independent media. A lot of the times there's some pretty fucking bad actors there too. And some bad actors, like, you know, even like a lot of the Jones sphere type people who've maybe got some, uh, let's say less than uh, noble instincts or, or possible, possibly benefactors. Um, and like, it's, it's, I, I like I don't really know how this is going to turn out because it seems like like we're in this weird like in between stage where like the internet's like kind of it's over it's like you know original sort of frontier stage and we're moving into a place where you basically you don't like go to different websites you go to like a few websites like Twitter or Facebook YouTube or whatever and that's where you get your content and I think it's going to centralize yeah. I mean I don't know how much it could but I think it's going to centralize more and then we'll really see like what kind of control they can exercise. Hmm. Just before we get off the topic of, um, you know, conspiracies and all this internet censorship, I just wanted to loop back to Mm -hmm. 9-11 and ask each one of you, because, like, I've listened to your, the 9-11 podcast on True and On, and, but I'm curious, like, what are your, and I I hate to use the word favorite, because it's just (laughs) a dark topic, but what are your favorite or... Like what? What did? What to each of you is the most intriguing? Like if you're able to just pull one specific thread or specific sub narrative of nine eleven because there's so many different aspects of it. Like I guess starting with you, Brace. Like what do you think is one specific narrative, alternative theory about nine eleven that you've looked into that you find particularly interesting? Well, I mean, I think to me, like the most sort of interesting is the most basic one, which is the fact that like the Bush family and, you know, extended universe there had had significant dealings with with the Bin Laden family and with the sort of milieu that the Bin Laden family came from. And it's like like all this stuff with the BCCI and with with the like the fact that it it, it extends from the, the war against the Soviets in Afghanistan and even kind of before that, like what we were doing in Afghanistan. Uh, up until then, and like the Americans finally re-entering, like or not re-entering, 
finally entering Afghanistan. Like th- that narrative to me, I don't know, it sort of rhymes in this very specific way. Uh, how like it all started with us getting this other country out, you know, decades and decades ago. And it ends with, you know, even here, Afghanistan's still in the news. We got this fake withdrawal they're talking about. And like, I think for some reason that is that, that really attract. It's not a specific theory, I guess. It's sort of just like, you know, the kind of the mainstream view of what happened or somewhat not mainstream view of what happened. You know what I mean? Um, but, but I don't know, like that, that stuff all like really intrigues me. I, I, I think that like a lot of the financial, financial kind of dealings behind it are really opaque, obviously just kind of by their nature. And like, that's the key to a lot of different things. I mean, you see that with like Nazi money after World War II. And like, you see that with, you know, like all the sort of black funds that the CIA uses uh, with, with heroin money and stuff like that. And like, I think the thing that like, I really just wish I could know is just like, look into the books of all these different places and see where the money was kind of being transferred around. Liz? I, I get... Uh, I get really into the like continuity of government stuff and like the stuff that Cheney and uh, Rumsfeld and Herbert Walker were kind of like dreaming up for so long. Like, so I get really into, okay, I want to know what was, what were those meetings and what was happening? Like for those couple minutes that Cheney was not accounted for in the white house. Mm-hmm. I want to know what was happening in that conversation. And like immediately after like the interim period where then the Patriot Act appears. <laughs> like I want to know that that's that's where I get really into that stuff because I think I don't think that people. I mean I think that you know people that know this stuff and you know we're paying a lot of attention. You know probably a bit older than like our listens listeners of our podcast like during the Bush years. But the like profound changes that the federal government went like that happened to the federal government, but in those interim years, like that stuff happened in the moments right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like that, that stuff is like, I, I just get really um, hung up on that. And then, you know, it's hard not to, tr- to bring it all back to stuff and the, the people dealing with Iran-Contra and like what was going on all there. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. So I, I get, that's the stuff that I get really into. Um, and that's not even like real, that's not getting into the like the um, I guess it's like not really a pun, but kind of a pun to say nuts and bolts of 9-11 <laughs> proper <laughs> of the like actual events. Um, but that's the stuff that I like kind of like geek out on and that like really interests me because I do find all the kind of like bureaucratic legal stuff really fascinating um, because I do think there is this uh, misunderstanding that like officials will just like do whatever they'll just like a lot of people will say that they're like oh he can just do whatever he wants it's like no 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 like the u.s has like a massive bureaucracy like a massive bureaucracy Mm -hmm. and those people are i mean they're bureaucrats that's why we call them bureaucrats they just like they follow the rules and in order for them to do something they need to see that they can do it and that needs legal precedent right they need those legal documents and and that's why the Patriot Act is so long that literally no one can read it, including all the lawmakers that voted for it. Um, And so I'm really, I'm interested in all of that, like kind of legal theory and like kind of new state theory that emerges out of that moment. And I think it's really key for understanding like 
what the hell just happened over the past four, if not eight years? I mean, even if you look at like the expansion of DHS, which is just like basically a shadow intelligence agency at this point, or a shadow DOD and intelligence agency, but it's only domestic. Right, and how it was created after 9-11. Yeah, like people don't even realize that these agencies were literally created within like the last 20 years. Um, Mm. One of the most interesting things to me is like obviously at the, at the point where the first plane hit the first tower, they knew, let's just, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt that they knew about the attacks, but had no role in them. So once the plane hit the tower, like they knew it wasn't an errant plane, right? They knew at that point, it was like a full blown, the attack that they'd been warned about for months, yet they still did not evacuate the second tower. So it's like, I know, it you know, like that, that in itself is just like, wait a minute, like, why did they want to maximize the death of all these people in the tower? Like, how, how, do, how do you parse that? But yeah, you were talking about like Afghanistan, and it's so crazy when you look back at the policy, not just the funding of the Mujahideen and the shadow wars going on there, but like Clinton literally, the deal with the Taliban didn't work out with the pipeline, and he was looking for a reason to invade Afghanistan. And so you see this continuity of policy. Yeah. With the Bush administration, they get the gift of 9-11. They're all of a sudden invading Afghanistan with no evidence whatsoever about bin Laden's involvement or anything. And it just yep. it's just so bizarre when you look at how all of that was just seamless from Bill Clinton. Um, but I wanted to also just wrap up the conspiracy segment by asking you guys, I've heard Wait, people- Wait, can I mention- Yeah, can sure. Can I mention my thing? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely, Rob. Like, would... All three of you mentioned something, so I figure I might as well mention. I'll just—I mean, I'll just acknowledge that I think that the buildings was probably the first thing that just hit me on a visceral level that this is weird, the mm-hmm. way that the towers fell. Yeah. and I didn't even know about Building Seven until you know maybe months later I had read about it. But I think for just for some reason that hit me on such a gut level on the day of nine yeah. eleven that like you know I will. It doesn't matter how many like debunking things I read, it has like zero effect on me. It's like it just burned into my brain that something was very strange about the way that those buildings fell, and that's, and I think on on some weird, almost like emotional level, that's like what has made me stay really open minded about yeah. it. And and I don't know how they fell. I mean, you know, people talk want to talk about thermite. Like I don't know if that theory actually really holds up. I just know that they didn't naturally collapse. And that's yeah. and that's sort of where <laughs> where my head will be probably until I die. So I, I um, also I, I want to mention too with, with what Abby said is I, I remember when the Taliban uh, offered to hand over Bin Laden. Yeah. And oh fuck! Just, oh dude. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, we're <laughs> we good. were like <laughs> yeah. we're okay. Okay, yeah. brother. Like <laughs> no, totally no, we'll erased from history. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned like continuity of policy, and it's like I mean, uh, what's the guy's name? James Jeffrey was the deputy national security advisor under Bush. Then he was the ambassador to Turkey under Bush and Obama. Then he was the ambassador to Iraq under <laughs> Obama. And then he was the U.S. rep for Syria engagement for Trump. Wow. <laughs> like, the, it's it's all the same. Right. The people that yeah. think this shit is, like, different are, no. It's same all with the, the same. bioterror people that uh, Robert Cadlick was involved in Operation Dark Winter, was involved in distributing the experimental anthrax vaccine during the first Gulf War, and he's still in the, the Trump cabinet yeah so it's wild fire yeah, you, fire you fauci like, dude fire fauci it's like okay well the fire fauci like why is he still <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like well, well that's the crazy thing about trump 
<laughs> he never does shit. It's, it's, I, I, in my head, the most, the most like, uh, I guess, positive spin I can put on it is it's a way to rile up the base. But it's right, like, right. dude, you are the president. You literally right. can't fire these guys. Like, it's like <laughs> no one else in the world kind of can but you. Right. Like, just the fact that he can withdraw troops at any time, anywhere. You know, like exactly. that's the one thing that the president could actually do. But Robbie, I, I just had a really bad memory actually going back to Jello Biafra, seeing him do spoken <laughs> word oh, and ta- yes. and ridiculing 9-11 truthers and being like, do you know how big the oh bombs would have to be if you were to blow? He was like, how big would those bombs have to be? And they're carting in these bombs and putting them in the, you know, and I was just like, wait, what? Like, what is going on? Why well, is Jello Biafra doing this? Didn't he say uh, mention reference Chomsky specifically and yes. say I'm with Chomsky on this yeah, one? Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of I think Chomsky. honestly Chomsky had a very big effect. On yeah, that's why you yeah. always got to go with Parenti. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but even Chomsky, I feel like later on he was like, it doesn't even matter if it if he was like even if Bush way to move the goalposts, bro. <laughs> yeah. And then what was even uh, weirder is before you know. Trump, I don't even know when it was. I think it was like in the middle of Trump's term, Robbie. Remember when Chomsky was like Trump could actually stage a false flag? Yeah, no, and I remember stay that. in office. Yeah. I was like, like what a the Reichstag f- fire. I was like, <laughs> yeah, holy shit! Now like, you're talking about false flag terror. Dude? Lost it. It like it would be such a shame if the U.S. were to do a Reichstag fire in like a couple buildings. <laughs> right, yeah. God knows what would happen if something like that were to occur. Oh, only Trump's capable only Trump, of that. Yeah. Exactly. I was about to say only Trump. Only Trump is a fascist. No, but George Bush, everything that he did was just good liberal democracy. Trump is different from liberal democracy because he's uh, 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 fat, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, Chomsky's a very and like small McDonald's. man. Yes, um, it drives me insane. But Joe Biafra also was once mean to me when I was twelve years old. So I never forget. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wait, one last question before we move to Joe Biden's cabinet that I think is also really interesting. I've heard, you know, like I feel like people have like this historical analysis about how fucked up the CIA was. Like the mm, CIA engaged yeah. in all these political <laughs> oh, yeah. assassinations, all of these coups around the world that we can all acknowledge looking back on it, right? I don't know how how people analyzed it at the time. Um, I don't know how long it took for people to really like you know, have that formative knowledge that the CIA was like, do, you know, usurping the democratic processes of all of these countries and like shape, you know, the shaping the world with anti-communism and all that stuff. But it seems like now people understand that, but they also don't seem to understand that the CIA is still functioning. It's perhaps changed and shifted into its tactics. You know, now we have the NGOization of um, opposition groups in Latin American countries and stuff like that mm. to try to make it seem like there's more of like a people's uprising and color revolutions and stuff like that. But it just seems like people don't attribute political assassinations and also just the more overt things that the CIA was doing, including COINTELPRO now, when now it seems like with the internet, it would be far easier to do those same things. Well, I mean, I think that people... I don't know. It's funny because I, you know, there's like some statistic out there that like the trust level in media is like at an all time low. Mm -hmm. But I would say among liberals, it's like, I think it's at an all time high. It is. And and (laughs) And actually the most trusted is Amazon. 70, 70%. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Great. That's beautiful for our future. Love that. (laughs) Um, But I would say like, even the left, like, or what I don't know. However you, di- however we want to differentiate left from liberals, which God knows I'm not getting in that conversation right now. But um, you know, I yeah. think they do a really poor job of being able to. I mean, 
everyone knows that like there are agents that are literally journalists and there have been since at least as far as we know the 60s or the 50s when they started do- putting like actual agents in newsrooms like I, I so anyone that like reads the new york times and thinks that it's like or the new york times or washington post or wherever um that these are like trusted sources when they continue to use like unnamed government official or unnamed uh, intelligence agent says, you know, X, Y, Z. It's just like completely bizarre to me. Like, I don't know how you like hold that. And then also, you know, they everyone on the left talks, like you said, will talk so much about COINTELPRO mm. and they will talk so much about the, you know, uh, you know, the Panthers and all of this, you know, the um the CIA and the FBI's relationship with black power movement and the civil rights movement i mean fucking martin martin luther king and yet they will then completely trust everything that the fucking media says or like buy into some good, there's somewhere a good version of the media it's like no 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 it's all one of the same yeah it's like some like, of these I, agencies I have changed it. and they're now yes. trustworthy or something you know well it's like they believe like since the cold war ended and there's no main adversary which obviously they're still you know russia and china um and, and, you know, states that are associated with them. It's like the CIA just stopped doing that. That's the old bad CIA. The new good CIA is like uh, woke kind of. And like, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, I mean, how could you really be against these protesters in Bolivia? You know, they're protesting over Eva Morales' environmental policies. Right. Right. Like it's a it's a it, you know, this is actually like, no, these aren't like foreign agents. Yeah, they're foreign workers at, at a pro rivers NGO. Don't you yeah. like rivers? And it's like <laughs> it, it kind of drives you crazy because it's like, why would they stop? It works well, like they're cold. How shit quickly works. Everyone believed what was going on in Belarus or just like, and you know, whatever. You know, there's a lot of questions there, but just right, you know, right on time, everyone was talking about like democracy movement in Belarus, just like immediately. Well, it's I like, mean, okay, guys, let's pull saw- back for a second. <laughs> Do we not remember what has happened over the past decade and then some in Central and Eastern Europe? Like, what are you talking well, about? Well, I mean, you saw in Ukraine too. It's like, you know, it's, oh, it's actually a protest for democracy. No, those guys, the swastikas, it is a symbol of peace, my brother. Like, <laughs> yeah. no, they're saying they love Jews. Hate, hate, it's like, a, it's a translation problem. Yeah. That was one of the most manufactured, I mean, oh, the yeah. amount of PR and media attention that the Euromaidan thing got, it was oh just my God. insane. Even I mean, proportionally, the name, dude, Euromaidan. Oh yeah, there's like <laughs> there's like Academy Award winning documentaries with like three Netflix yep. documentaries on. It's like yeah, the amount of money spent on the media engine for that is just like that. Ha- the op- clearly, there was not. I mean, I can't say the CIA White hands on it, but like everybody's yeah, hands were on the that. White shit. Helmet's I mean, got an Oscar. The White yeah, Helmet's like, got dude, a fucking every- Oscar. Dude. <laughs> Mannequin yeah, it's, challenge. It's nuts. Remember no, when they were like firebombing buildings with <laughs> people trapped inside? It's like, dude, remember, oh they would, dude, the government wouldn't even let the White Helmets dude into the country because of his association with terrorists. Like, it's insane. I mean, I've yeah. been to Ukraine. And let me tell you, I know a lot of great people in Ukraine, but you cannot fucking spit without seeing somebody with like a wolf's angel tattoo or some shit like mm-hmm. that. Like, I was in Odessa, which is like, you know, it's like half Russian, half Ukrainian speaking. So it's less, you know, I mean, there was that, you know, fucking murder, like giant firebombing there of the people in the trade union hall. But like, I saw guys in all black with fucking, you know, flags 
mostly pudgy teenagers, but still marching down the streets. And then when I got to Kiev, Kiev was like, okay, I get it. Maybe, uh, maybe I will move to Israel. I'm not really liking this whole thing. This is, this is for, you know, maybe they're right. Maybe this isn't safe for us. I mean, it, it, it was, it, it, it blew my mind. It's like, how could they have, I mean, obviously they didn't miss it. It was on purpose, you know, it's like, mm. and then you got fucking fight. That's yeah. Don't get me started. Yeah, yeah I mean, even to this day, like, I, we were talking about proper not. I think, Brace, you, like, briefly mentioned it. But, like, somehow Louise Mensch, like, found some tweet that I made about, um, like, Euromaidan or something. And was like, oh, she's one of these. I was like, I, first of all, I don't even know you. <laughs> and she found, like, some tweet from, like, I don't, God knows when, 2015 or something, where, you know, I some offhanded comment about the coup in Ukraine. It's just, like... It's it's literally like still going. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's in Syria. It's with Syria too. It's oh still God. going, and it will. I mean, it's all gonna come back with a vengeance with the Biden admin. Just get ready, because that's like all. I mean, it's all coming back. I feel like Gabby, all those good have... Obama year stuff. Oh yeah. You 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 segued <laughs> for us, Liz, perfectly. I know. Um, Did you like that? Yeah. Thank you, um, Abby. Do you wanna do you wanna open up the Biden discussion, or should I? Well, I guess I, you're, you're the think tank buff guy, but I, I think my biggest concerns with the Biden foreign policy team is, you know, that there was that in these times article that talked about how like one third of his transition team for the Pentagon were literally like weapons industry people. They're all oh, yeah. involved in these super hawkish think tanks, the CSIS, the CNAS, Rand Corporation, um, Michelle Flournoy is horrific like literally the worst possible person that i can think of and going back to this whole continuity of policy continuity of government thing really fascinating thing that i found about her while everyone's touting her as the first woman to run the pentagon oh god it's gonna be so much of that crap too what do these people actually stand for and what's really crazy about florney back in 1997 when she was the assistant secretary of defense for strategy under clinton she authored this review called the Quadrennial Defense Review, which basically was like the ideological foundation of the endless war on terror. And this is like four years before 9-11. She penned this doctrine that said we should unilaterally be able to act to, um, to go after any enemy around the world at any time mm. to quote, and you know, we're going back to like cons- capitalism as an open conspiracy. I mean, you cannot make this shit up. Like she said, quote, we should ensure uninhabited access to key markets, energy supplies, and strategic resources by preventing the emergence of hostile regional coalitions anywhere on Earth. So framing the unilateral and illegal use of military force basically as defending vital interests. So I, I thought that was really fascinating that this woman is even being floated. Um, and then, of course, you go into like, you know, her defense contractor revolving door relationship. She's a member of Booz Allen she oversaw, just like Susan Rice, the worst military um, disasters in Syria, Liber- Libya, and like the Afghanistan troop surge. I mean, Susan Rice is horrific as well. But like the CNAS, yeah. Robbie, I don't know if you want to go into that. Yeah. Sure. The CNAS is a really interesting think tank to me because so we had Project for the New American Century, obviously, which was classic. Yeah, the classic. <laughs> 
you know the deep the, it's it's the it's the think tank everybody knows new Season pearl one. harbor yeah, yeah right um and that's why i made my documentary <laughs> series tracking them and the one think tank that i didn't really cover that much in my documentary series was like the newest you know you can almost see it as the newest iteration of pnac where you know they closed down pnac it became foreign policy initiative foreign policy initiative closed right after the obama era was over and you know, at the tail end of the Obama administration, we also had in parallel the Kagan family, different people from PNAC and the Foreign Policy Initiative going over to this new think tank that was co-founded by Michelle Flournoy called CNAS. And CNAS seemed to be like basically designed for an incoming Hillary Clinton administration. Mm-hmm. It was, this is sort of the, the new iteration of the sort of global dominant strategy uh, you know, of the posture the U.S. government is going to take for an incoming Hillary administration. So in a lot of ways, you could see this whole think tank apparatus as something that was, you know, I don't even really know how much it thought it could influence the Trump administration, but now it actually will just sort of be perfectly positioned to become the foreign policy engine for Biden administration because, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a different flavor of a, of a Hillary administration would be. Um, but CNAS, you know, you could see it almost like as a similar think tank to Brookings or some of these more Europe-focused think tanks. And that's, you know, I don't know if it was you, Liz, you mentioned earlier, that's something that I think is really in the cards that a lot of people maybe aren't thinking about right now is not just Ukraine, but other Eastern European, you know, former... Uh, members of the Soviet bloc that we, you know, we want to try to like use NATO as leverage on, um, like there's still talk about, you know, bringing Ukraine into NATO and things like that. And this is something that these people from the CNAS have been extremely plugged into since the Clinton administration. Uh, the CEO of CNAS over a year ago was Victoria Newland. Um, yeah. who was our NATO ambassador <laughs> and, you know, basically became the Shut villain up. of, you know, the Ukraine thing. So, well, 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 she did say something that I do agree with. <laughs> Famously, she did say, fuck the EU. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> which is, which is funny because that got more press and coverage than what her actual conversation was about, which was, she was like, discussing her preferences for the new Ukrainian government, like playing musical chairs oh, yeah. with these, with all these names um, before the government had even, you know, uh, uh, you know, had a coup performed on it. So, but like in general, you know, who do you guys find the scariest that you've heard of as potential cabinet picks for a Biden administration? And what have you been hearing in terms of like some of these think tanks um, that are, you know, influencing his cabinet picks. I mean, yeah, I, I was reading that same um, that same piece talking about all of the like Raytheon, Lockheed, Rand, uh, you know, all the guys, they're all back. Mm-hmm. I mean, they I don't think they went anywhere with the Trump administration anyway, but I think that there's a lot of papering over it or or excuse me. There tends to be a lot of papering over this stuff when it comes to Democratic administrations. Um, you know, I'm really worried about the Silicon Valley stuff. I yeah. am worried about, you know, there's a lot of Facebook guys that are af- affiliated with 
um, or, you know, getting thrown around. Not, uh, you know, there's the big names that, that people talk about. But I mean, just on the transition team, there's like a ton of Facebook staffers and Facebook lobbyists. Um, I would not be surprised to see other like Google people involved. I mean, the Google guys were like famously very close with the Obama administration. Um, a lot of ex-Obama people went straight into Silicon Valley, um, either at like venture capital firms or as board members of various like tech companies or tech marketing companies or whatever bullshit these people are into, sickos. Um, so I, that stuff worries me. There's also like just the old guys. I mean, the thing that I think people forget is that like, so there's going to be all the young the people that, like you mentioned, that were slated for Clinton and a lot of the old Obama guys. But like Biden is like Biden has been in the U.S. government for a fucking long time. And mm -hmm. there are some like old ghouls that are going to be coming out. Like I know that Erskine Bowles is on the transition team and he was <laughs> I mean, he's like, Mr. We need to have a national dialogue on the deficit. <laughs> So, and he was actually, I think Obama appointed him to manage um, the, like, like he had this, like, debt reduction committee after um, after the, the banking crisis because, oh, we spent too much on the American people and now we had to, like, cut Social Security or whatever Obama had planned with the grand bargain. So, like, all of that shit is coming back. The austerity guys and all of the kind of, um, liberal-esque Pete Peterson types. Like, I would really worry about that. I think people are going to push back on that, but, uh, you know, I, I can see them passing a, a like, very small-ish stimulus for real people. You know, the companies will get whatever they need. And, and then suddenly we need to take a good hard look at uh, Social Security and Medicare, which I mean, I don't know why we wouldn't when Joe Biden has dedicated his career to to cutting like what remains of any kind of welfare state in this country like that between that and and like whatever banking shit that, you know, whatever he can give, you know, whatever good deals he can give to his banker friends like that is his career. Like I can't it's really hard for me to, to like express my anger at the like the fucking discourse that's happening now on like, is Biden gonna give like student debt relief? Or yeah. Whatever? Why is that happening? Cause it's like, well, it's like, oh, I, I can't, I can't believe that we're talking about like Joe Biden, the man who made it so that student debt, student loans are non-dischargeable in bankruptcy. So it's the only type of fucking of fucking debt that you cannot discharge in mm -hmm. bankruptcy. So you will have this forever no matter what. Like Joe Biden did that. And now he's the fucking president and we're talking about him giving some student loan. I mean, it is the most like beautiful version of like whatever that viral thing is is like what if we monetize the rot yeah. like or <laughs> oh the the causes or the you know the results are bad but the causes are are good like i i it makes me feel like a schizophrenic that no one is saying that this is so obscene and insane what we're talking about like how the hell did this fucking happen you know opium yeah yeah just a lot of that I think for me, it's like, okay, we got, we got the Kagan Newland. We got the fucking, uh, what's his name? Mike Morrell, I guess has been floated for, uh, for CIA slot and, uh, 
famously oh, no. he, he's still <laughs> like i know he's i think i'm pretty sure it's him he's like no Iraq did help okay to do 9-11. So, like, you know, obviously we're dealing with, like, a you know, a real on-the-level character. But the real people that freak me out are actually Kamala Harris's relatives. Uh, her brother-in-law, yeah. Tony West, who's the head of legal at Uber, and her, her and Tony West and, and uh, Kamala's uh, sister's daughter, Mina Harris, who is head of strategy at Uber. And it's like, I think that is, like, a good sign. I don't know. Prop 22 really freaked me out. And so it's like, I know this isn't a foreign policy thing, but like domestically that like closeness to Uber there really fucking freaks me out. Um, Susan Rice, of course, coming in. I mean, it is, uh, I mean, Christ, they'll probably bring the death penalty for BDS after she, uh, she, she gets in its state, (laughs) but like it's all of them. It's just the same. It's just like you said, it's the same fucking freaks and creeps that they were planning on doing for, for Hillary. Just like, letting them fester for four more years and and a lot of them in the Russia milieu. And now they're kind of coming out of the woodwork, like the worms they are, uh, you know, weirdly enough, I think Biden's foreign policy will be different in some respects. I don't think the overall project will be different. I just think slightly like some certain, I, I, you know, it's hard to say what could get worse with Iran rather than an actual ground invasion. So I'm hopeful that Biden, he's pledged to restart the Iran deal, which I'm not a fan of the Iran deal because I think Iran should be able to do whatever the fuck they want, right. but it's better than what's now. Uh, and it's it's certainly like you know, better than killing Soleimani and then, you know, putting troops on alert and putting troops in Saudi Arabia. But Brace, but I, Trump didn't start any new war, shouldn't we? <laughs> that's, that? that drives me fucking insane. Because <laughs> I'm like, all right, all right, he didn't start. What new wars could he start? Right. We're already at war with all of them. <laughs> it's like, they're not going to, he's not going to do a ground invasion with Iran because they'd have to like, there'd have to be some like pretext for that that's more than what we have right. now. But also, it, yeah, but also we don't do that. Right. I exactly. mean, it's so funny because they'll be like, oh, he didn't start any uh, ground invasion. And it's like, okay. And then they'll be like, but Obama did all these drone strikes. And it's like, dude, you just, you can't right. hold these yeah. two things at once. Like, I mean, you know, Trump, they literally stopped. I mean, obviously the, the drone strikes civilian statistics were fake under Obama too, because any male yeah. is yeah, a right. combatant. But like, they didn't even, <laughs> they don't even count them anymore. Like, Obama they, was just a super feminist. Exactly. So that's why he said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why he classified any male as a combatant. Yeah, it's and it's like they don't even count the fucking civilian casualties. You know, it's like people talk about, oh yeah, like Trump didn't start any new wars. How come, like, you remember that whole thing where he was like rude to the guy's widow when the guy got yeah. killed in Africa? What was that guy doing in Africa? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's video. There, crazily enough, there's actually video footage of that. There's like a body yeah. cam footage of that. I bet Samantha Power is going to weasel her way back in somewhere, yeah. too. Oh, she's definitely back in. Talk about yeah. someone who thinks we can invade anywhere at any time. Oh, my yeah. God. Well, it's funny because, you know, there, she was floated for Elizabeth Warren's seat in the, with the, like, crazy idea that Biden was going to appoint Elizabeth Warren to something. Oh, wow. Um, which like makes gonna... no Yeah. Yeah, I like how well, Elizabeth Warren's so whole posturing with the whole, like, you called me a, a liar on national TV and all that shit. It was like all of it was just so she could try to get a position in Joe Biden's cabinet. Because I think at that time and she, and she just fucking won't. And it's just so yeah. sad. It's like, dude. What's even worse, though, is like we're going to have to fucking deal. With, I guess she's pretty old, but it's like dealing with her being a pain in the ass in the Senate. Like on the day, it's like <laughs> it's going to be so fucking annoying. Right. She's I mean, the worst. I, I will say all. this. Trump. <laughs> 
Trump, if you do arrest them, I will give you credit. Like just arrest them. <laughs> right, right. Just arrest them. Ran on arresting Hillary Clinton. You yeah. ran on lock her up. Just lock her up, dude. You're only <laughs> yeah. an officer for another month and a half. You can you just you I mean, even if they free her, you've locked her up. Just lock her up. Right. I'm a single issue voter and that single issue is lock her up. <laughs> oh man. That'd be so good. Lock I would be I would be okay up, with Trump doing martial law just to you know <laughs> Create this necessary <laughs> scenario to lock up uh, Hillary, as Q promised. Exactly. Yeah. I will say, if the but, QAnon thing is real, do it. Do it. Put, I don't care. You can throw me in the concentration camp. I don't care. It would just be so funny if you actually locked up. Please. Yeah, the Susan Rice shit is so nuts too, because it's like again, like the worst of the worst to use a Bush admin term. But like looking yeah. at her fucking record, and it's like, dude, um, literally defending Colin Powell, being like, I'm convinced. Like 100% convinced about WMDs doubling down on apologizing for the entire Bush administration to invade Iraq, um, apologizing for genocide in Africa, um, yeah. driving the wedge between the U.S. and S Russia and Syria, the whole chemical weapons attack, which was so bizarre, too. It'd be interesting to just do a whole episode on, like, the dueling narratives of Russian media versus U.S. media on mm. the chemical weapons attack and how— Oh, absolutely yeah. insane that was. I felt like I was like yeah. living in an alternate reality. And the reality. social media component yeah. too. That was the crazy shit. Yeah. It was like, it was all over Instagram. It was insane. <laughs> it was like, it's a wild campaign. Like how Russia Today was all like interviewing the back. kids and they were just like, yeah, people just came out and started throwing water on us and like saying that they were just like, nothing happened. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> just like, what the fuck is going on? Um, but no, Susan Rice also apparently was instrumental in doing the drone killer Tuesdays, like like overseeing Obama telling him, oh, okay, yeah. here's who we're going to kill with drones this Tuesday. Yeah, the list, the trading cards or whatever. So yeah, I mean, the, in terms of the Zionist shit, like she's awful. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris out of all of the Democratic primary contenders, I was like, I actually did a breakdown of all of their positions on Palestine, Israel. And I was like, out of all of them, oh, they are the God. worst. Um, yeah. Kamala Harris actually compared Israel to civil rights activism and Selma. Um, God, she's so ooh. awful. <laughs> the thing is, I don't think the thing. Okay, so we've known her for a while. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, you guys too, because of right. San Francisco. Yep. But like, I don't think she actually believes anything, which makes her very scary right. to me. Like, I don't think that she actually has a worldview. It's just that so at some point when she was young, they were like, "You're charismatic. We should get you into politics." You know I, what I mean? I agree with that, yeah. And like, so for her to say that about Israel is, first of all, like, so she just says shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it, it makes, it, it's not coming from a place of her actually believing in like the one true Jewish state from like an ideological perspective. It's like she, and this is what I'm I'm trying, I guess I've, I see with the like polarization and that people just say the craziest thing to like make these crazy connections. So it's like, she just says like, she's going to say all this weird shit about intersectionality and, you know, like, or, Oh, you know, Israel's like a, it's like a civil rights movement or all this stuff. Like, and she's going to like be the harbinger of that kind of, um, like the complete and total NGOification mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. our reality, you know, mm -hmm. like, because I, I literally think she does not, I, I don't, think she believes anything Yeah, like remember in the all. primary when she like couldn't even she was like I believe in government run healthcare and then like she did it twice and then and then people like asked her after and she was like no I actually didn't mean that it's like what do you yeah. mean you've said this twice now what do you mean you didn't mean that that's so fucking yeah, funny she just does what's convenient yeah. which is like a very scary 
I mean, that does not bode well for. No, it doesn't. For certain things, they and you know, she's going to be president. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> possibly two terms, with which like, is fucking with nuts. like less percent of a vote than like. I mean, that, that's the craziest thing to me is because like, I mean, I, I guess you know, usually vice presidents tend not to get like a giant, you know. Mike Pence, for example, got 0% of the vote, but like, it's still wild that like, she, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's she's I, not a big fan. Well, she dropped out be- because she had no money left even before. Like, she, I mean, it's just crazy that you can she, actually she look at Tulsi Gabbard got more delegates than her <laughs> because yeah. she couldn't yeah, even stay she, in the like, race. Is such an, she like, they like ran the campaign into the ground right. because it was such a like terrible, horribly run campaign. <laughs> not to be crude, not to be crude, but anybody connected to the fucking mobster Willie Brown and especially anyone Oof. who fucked Willie Brown, it like that shit, you know, just being in San Francisco is like red fucking alert, man. That like I'm surprised the conservatives didn't like the Trump team didn't pull any of that shit out. It all I goes mean, back maybe, to 9-11. Right. <laughs> Willie Brown was warned not oh, to fly yeah. on 9-11 It's true, that? it's he true so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that But, but the, uh, God. The, the one thing that Liz uh, I don't know if you mentioned this Liz But about Kamala Harris It's been four years since we've How we've seen what a democratic administration Will do to weaponize Identity politics for Not just foreign policy but other policy Like mm-hmm. using like wokeness As a means for foreign policy Or just other terrible things So I could see Kamala playing that role. Yeah. Like that would be the image management aspect of the Biden administration is have oh, her yeah. sort of amp up the wokeness from the Obama era in like a pretty disturbing way. Like I'm actually kind of fascinated to see how that's going to play out. Because, um, <laughs> you know, we've seen, seen the it. corporate version of it, but we haven't yet yeah. seen an official Democratic administration yeah. version of it th- in this era because it's so much more right. sensitive and yeah, heightened hyped. than it was, you know, during yeah. the Obama era. Right. I mean, I saw that I've seen it on Instagram, like completely with the election. Like I could not believe, I mean, so many posts, like, you know, I have a lot of normie friends, whatever, but like, just like, I'm crying. I can't believe it. I love her so much. Looking like posting like childhood photos of her where she looks like kind of edgy. Like it's like a fucking like cool New York. Yeah. 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 I've seen that (laughs) art kid album or some shit. And then like, you know, oh my God, it's so incredible. I'm crying. I can't believe this is happening. Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. It's like, and it's already like first woman, baddie, you know, mm-hmm. first African-American woman, all that kind of crap. And it's it's just going to go on hyperdrive because it's yeah. all they have. Well, right? I, It's all they have. We're going to see it. To I paper think, over everything. I think we're going to see it a lot with like Prop 22 stuff too. Like, or yep. just that sort of like type of labor yeah. politics we're going to see a lot and like to be honest i think they can buy off a lot of the afl cio like that should not be a problem for them and <laughs> yeah, so, i don't like, think that'll be a problem yeah. the only way With that would be a problem is if too. like trump goes like just comes out as like severe, like insanely anti-woke yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Like, <laughs> that would be really funny we're already um, seeing campaigns on social media seed the prop 22 like campaigns across different yeah. states with like fake yeah. avatars and shit like being like i'm a I'm a I'm an Uber driver in Georgia. Like I really want to be maintain I my value independence. My freedom. It's like and it's like a stock image of like a black guy. <laughs> my name guy. is Ben Allen. <laughs> like, I am a driver. For- <laughs> Please help it's us. Like, it's funny because some of these are right to work states too. It's like <laughs> right. uh, it's yeah. It's- um, but yeah, no the the Kamala Harris thing. I think it was so funny. Well, Obama like downplayed his blackness a lot, and like yeah. the whole pick for Joe Biden was to kind of uh, satiate and uh-huh. uh, you know have. 
like mainstream or even like just moderate conservatives accept his presidency yeah. and be like, okay, I'm not like this radical black guy. Like I'm picking the most moderate fucking conservative uh, person that you can imagine to be my VP. So yeah. I, it is going to be really interesting to see how Kamala puts that into overdrive in the era that we're living in. I remember mm. when she said like that little girl is me during the debate, like that yes. instant that she dropped that shit, the Instagram t-shirt like popped oh up God. on my feed. It was like, it's just so manufactured and fake. I know. Um, and people fucking love they it. Just, love they it. just it eat it up, they, dude. They eat it, it up. And it's going to, I mean, you know, we just did a, a first part of an episode on The Great Reset, which is funny. We just recorded it yesterday, which turns out was the same day that Tucker Carlson did an episode <laughs> about it. <laughs> Whoops. But uh, <laughs> we, I mean, you know, we we... Probably covered a lot of different things than he did. I haven't watched a segment. But, um, I mean, the shit that you see coming out of Davos and you talk about these NGOs and the way they use this type of language um, is, I mean, I mean, they sound exactly like liberal left yep. in America and they use the exact same language and you see it throughout Europe. It's really weird how it's being exported everywhere. Um, when it is not like organic to any of those countries or has any kind of explanatory purpose for kind of different either racial or ethnic relations in various European countries. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it has absolutely nothing to do with or any explanatory value there, you know, and it is just it. I mean, Amer I think American soft power is still underrated. Yeah, like I, I, it's it's shocking to me how powerful um american culture is but it's also very much um astroturfed i think absolutely and it's like yeah. a big part of what the ngos do is these kind of pr managed campaigns and i think we're going to see a lot of that come home like even yeah. way more than we've seen before like actually mm -hmm. in actual domestic campaigns you know we were talking about the internet censorship stuff um and proper not obviously which was like I feel like proper not in some weird way pioneered mm -hmm. that that mentality. You know, like that article in Washington Post, I think that even appeared before Trump's inauguration and it was like all these fake news websites, you know, or Russian disinformation websites, you know, helped shift the election or you know, I don't even remember what the narrative necessarily was. I'd have to go back and read the article, but I mean, now we're in a situation where like we have a think tank that's been around, I, I want to say since 2017, called the Alliance for Securing Democracy, which is backed by the German Marshall Fund. And if you look at the roster of all the people in that, and I guess mm -hmm. just for people who aren't aware of what that is, it is, it's a it's a bot tracking think tank that tracks yes. Russian disinformation and other, you know, now they're tracking Iranian disinformation, Chinese disinformation, but they claim that they have these bot networks and they use software to track who's putting out what narratives and how they're spreading through the internet. But the think tank is basically comprised of all the same people that were like part of the Hillary, you know, administration or what would have been the Hillary administration with Mike Morrell. We have Jake Sullivan. We even have Bill Crystal in there, Michael Ooh, Shertoff. A little, um, little bit of spice. Yeah. So, and you know, and this whole time, Bill Crystal has basically rebranded himself also as mm -hmm. some kind of lefty or liberal. Oh my God. And so where do you guys like see that going with a Biden administration in play? Because uh, 
it does seem like we're we're in a really dangerous situation now where it could amp up like exponentially now that all these same people who have encouraged and pioneered this internet censorship model to fight disinformation are now going yeah. to be in government again. I mean, a lot of them are. Um, and there'll be sort of a unison, you know, unification between those think tanks and people pushing that and the government now. So like, how do you see that playing out and how, like, are you guys as scared of that as I am? Like, it does seem, it kind of almost seems like the end of an era in a weird way to me. Um, I don't know if, if you guys see it the same way, but Ray, so what are your feelings on that? I, I think I could see them bringing like, not maybe not a government agency, but some sort of government program to fight bots. I mean, because that was, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's actually like died down a little less or actually it's not even died down. It's just diffused so that everybody says this now, but like, you know, people talk, people were talking about bots at like a fever pitch, you know, mm-hmm. for, for a lot of Trump's presidency. And like, there are a lot of bots out there. I think a lot of them are us government and Israeli bots too. But like, I could see like a program by the U S government to combat bots on these social media websites. Um, I could also like, it's, I, you know, the Russia stuff did die down, you know, after the Mueller report came out from most quarters, although obviously some are still going pretty strong, but I'm wondering what Biden's like stance towards Russia in general is going to be because they spent so long basically blaming, blaming Russia and Putin in particular for installing this guy that they say was a fascist dictator. Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, what can you do? I mean, you get into office, what's your first, you know, are you going to meet with like, what's your thing? What's your stance on Putin going to be? And they haven't really like gone into it in any sort of detail. Well, Biden specifically hasn't, which is kind of interesting. I mean, I I didn't really think about that until you mentioned it. He hasn't, you know, it's weird. I feel like Bernie actually talked, did more like anti-Putin hysteria Uh, than even like Biden or Obama did, which is- that's a whole is of a whole other topic, but yes, I guess that is that is an interesting thing because what is going to be their <laughs> policy towards Russia? I mean, are they just gonna? They say they want another reset. I've heard them say that, but like reset how? Great reset, like, <laughs> baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it'll probably go. I mean, so I mean, my my understanding is that there's like there's a like a kind of a you know, a bit of a war going on in various agencies over people that are hawkish and people that are dubbish on Russia. Um, And Mm -hmm. there are a lot of Russia hawks, for sure. And a lot of that has to do with um, also being hawks on China, because the idea is that, you know, you can't go to war with China, but you could with Russia, which is just crazy talk, but these people are crazy people. and then that would give you a strategic position against China, right? So I know that that is like, and that was always kind of a big talking point of a lot of Clinton people at State Department. Um, and and there were a lot, I mean, there was like an article in Foreign Policy, like during at the tail end of the Obama admin after Hillary had started running that was talking about like, you know, all the like different, different kind of pl- contingency plans for war with Russia. Like it's like, it's still an active thing, even if it's a nut thing. So like, I don't really, I think they're going to go back to kind of like a good cop, bad cop thing. Um, and I, I don't know if, I don't think anyone is actually going to have 
like hold any dissonance between the Russia Gate thing and then having kind of normal relations with Putin. Like I don't think any yeah. of those people will be like they'll be like, "Oh, well, we patched it up because that's what we elected to do." Or or yeah, they just yeah, won't yeah. even acknowledge it. Yeah, you know yeah, what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And like it'll just be I mean, I keep referring to it as like the great gaslighting of America is about to happen. But like I really think that despite what I I believe Trump is going to try to do, which is, and I hope he does, which is like have a TV network and write a bunch of crazy books. I really (laughs) hope he writes books about what crazy stories, whether or not they're true. Um, That like there is going to be a big kind of like, this didn't happen and none of this stuff happened and we didn't participate in any of this kind of crazy Mm -hmm. stuff over the past four years until it's useful to bring up the specter of Trumpism in order to discipline whoever they need to, whether it's to shepherd more people to vote for the Democrats for the midterms or whether they think the left is getting too unruly, then they bring up the specter of fascism and Trumpism. And that's how, you know, they use climate the same way. Or and they'll continue to use climate the same way. I think probably even more as a kind of disciplinary tool. You know. Yeah. Well, they're doing that now. With I mean, that's the pivot. Um, well, it's not just the Trump administration, but they're trying to make it seem as if you know China is the world's biggest polluter, and they need. Yeah. To be what stopped, about China? You know? What about China? Yeah, 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 yeah. I will say about the climate thing. Like, I really think that's going to be a huge. I mean, you want to talk about NGOs, like. Um, like that's going to be a big, big talking point in the next couple years, um, because it is going to, you know, it's there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, we can't talk about healthcare. We need to talk about climate, which I've already seen pushed forward by people like Chris Hayes and other like media people, like famously um, have have been saying that um, since the primaries. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is going to be, you know. We can't talk about jobs. We need to focus on the climate. And, yeah. you know, that gets a lot of middle class support for a reason. And I, you know, and I think that's going to be a big um, disciplinary tool for anyone asking why the administration isn't doing anything to help people and working people. Yeah. And so people should be able to, I mean, that's one thing. It's like, I, I get nervous, like even talking about that stuff, because the minute you say anything like that, you're called like a climate denier. Which is also like used as a weapon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. To like question yeah, like NGOs and greenwashing and like the way that, you know, the US is gonna bully other nations into like pretty horrific um economic agreements and sanctions over what they pers- you know, what they sell as, you know, uh green initiatives or whatever. Um of course. You know, like the left has to get a lot smarter and sharper about holding the line on that shit and not like being afraid of being called climate tonight because they will be if they bring any of this shit up. And yeah. my, my suspicion is that because of that, they won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to, I, I think there's been very few people, one of them I can think of is Nafiz Ahmed, who really laid, you know, used to lay mm-hmm. out this case all the time that, you know, these, the ruling class powers were taking advantage of the climate change argument to essentially consolidate more power, even though it is a real issue yeah. and there do, it does need to be seriously addressed and it is could be potentially very apocalyptic. Both things are true at the same time. And yes, that's absolutely. the discussion that not well, enough people are having. It's the same thing with COVID. Sure, yeah. I mean, that's like, exactly. that's the other thing that gets me is like, I mean, 
You talk about conspiracy theory. I mean, just to like bring it back to what we started talking about, it's like, okay, the pandemic can be real and also be a perfect shock and awe moment that, I mean, does that, you know, that the government and that governments around the world, by the way, are taking advantage of. I mean, there's like, France is basically like a police state now. And it has been going that way for a long time, especially under Macron. But they have like, they want to pass this new law because of like, um, you know, they're trying to enforce these confinements and quarantines where the new law is that now there can be no, you know, there's like on videos of police, of the police, they'll just like, no one will ever be able to see their face. So the police will never be able to be identified with, you know, by like, there will be no way to identify any member of the police. And if you have seen the French police, they're like in full riot gear. They are some of the most brutal forces in Western Europe. I mean, it's like, it's really crazy. I mean, they they look like soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. And they are constantly like people's hands are getting blown off and their people are getting hit with um, like serious, like, you know, being blinded. I mean, it, they make American with what the fucking National Guard does here is like fucking nothing. It's nothing compared to what the police in Paris do. Um, it's really obscene. And like all of that is happening under the pretense of, you know, emergency orders because of confinement. And like you point any of this out and people, you know, suddenly you're like anti-masker or, oh, you're you're a COVID truther or, you know, it's pandemic or whatever. And it's just like it's this crazy binary thinking that that is just uh, I mean, there's absolutely no way to have any kind of critical or political culture on the left unless people get rid of that. Yeah. And and I, I just don't know if they'll if they can yeah, I think it's like, you know, there was like an old book that was put out by like, I don't even remember which generic lib wrote this, but it was simply called Reframing the Debate. And it was just all about how the right wing sort of media machine is so good at framing the debate and setting the narrative that the best way to combat it is to reframe the debate. And I like, I just always remember back to that, you know, even though it was sort of like it, it, it was probably like passed around like Democrat, you know, carry, yeah, 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 carry yeah. groups and stuff back in the day. But like, it's still a really important lesson to be learned of like, it doesn't matter that the right or these like, you know, dirtbag sort of like grifter right wing actors have framed the COVID debate in the way that they have. You still need to like stand up for your principles and, and yep. actually reframe it differently. If you, you know, unless you just want to, unless you're just in it to coast on some wave of like, you know, whatever's the trend on the left right now. And you, and I, I, that's, you have to, I just, yeah, I just think too many people are just stuck in this groupthink mode. I mean, it happens. It's not just in politics, but you know, it happens in like art scenes, music scenes. Social circles. Um, Yeah. 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 It's just, and, but you know, it is something that really needs to be contended with on the left. And I don't know how people get out of that. Um, And I, I think it is, people are very, very afraid of being even remotely associated with Trumpism, you know, yeah. if they don't like Trump. And it's just, it's just, I, maybe that maybe Trump leaving will change that, but I don't think so. I, think I don't we're, think so. We're still in some weird zone um, where, you know, people will even be afraid to criticize uh, Kamala Harris because she's a black woman, you know? So that's, there's just so many, um, I don't even know where I was going with that, but I mean, it's, it's, I, I completely agree with that. It's like, I, it's, it's really difficult because whenever you criticize either Biden or Trump, people just assume you're for the other one. 
And that has been, or like, and that, you know, you extend that out to masks or to what, or not net masks, but just like COVID stuff, climate stuff, any of this stuff. If you're at all like critical of this mainstream narrative, uh, people really get at you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also like, for, I mean, from what I've noticed, all it takes is like one, more than one, but I would say like at least like three people to kind of say one thing and then everyone is like, oh, okay, we can say that now. Yeah. yeah. yeah like, yeah. it's just like, it's been wild to watch people. I mean, okay, the t- walking back on Russiagate was one thing, but it's been really wild to watch people say, oh no, we knew the whole time that Trump wasn't a fascist. It's like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> That's so... not, it's so, it's, it's, I mean, and this is what I'm talking about with this, this shit like driving me crazy. I mean, it's the same thing with the student loans and Biden thing. It's like this, this dissonant, like I can't hold it in my head. It makes me feel schizophrenic. Yeah. You know? And, and there's, I mean, it's so funny because the, you know, the left like always rails against, you know, how come the people from the Iraq war and the banks, they never, you know, no accountability there. And it's like, yeah, I agree. And it's like, wait, how come there's no accountability to you guys? Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, you, you guys were leading the charge over the last four years of the quote unquote left. And everyone's been led astray. How come there's no accountability for you? How come actually you're getting like bigger and more, more and like bigger and more notable jobs? Wait a second. Why don't we take a look at this? You know? Yeah, it's funny too. One example I can think of of people just sort of rewriting history is, you know, a lot of people on the left uh, like to pretend they weren't into Obama. You know, I'll counter so oh, many yeah. people who are like, yeah, I voted for Obama. And, but it's that accountability of being like, yeah, I voted for like a war criminal and I was, yeah. you know, I had the wool completely pulled over my eyes. You never get any like confessionals or people actually like talking about I mean, that I way. voted Grace for Obama and I were just I talking 18. about yeah. this earlier today because I was saying it's so crazy to me. Like, I-, I can't believe that we, there's like this weird culture that like everyone has to be right all the time. And if you weren't, then like you have nothing to say or no leg to stand on or whatever. But it's like, it's so weird to me that people can't just be like, oh, I got that wrong. And now I think a lot of people got it wrong. And what's important is that we understand why we got it wrong. Right. And like, because what's like an amazing feature of the system of never having to like, of people never feeling comfortable of saying like, like, for example, like I thought Bernie was going to win. Right. And like, I got that wrong. And there were people who understood that he wasn't, um, and I'm just talking about the primary. And so like, it's been really important for me over the past, like whatever months to kind of like sit and figure out and think really hard and work through why I think I got that wrong and what I missed. And like the, what I'm saying is the amazing feature of this culture on the left of like never having to never being comfortable of saying you were wrong or that you got something wrong is that you never have to actually examine why you got something wrong and you can just like continue to move on ad infinitum. And so there's never any reflection or any kind of, not even like, there's just not even an interest. There's not even an acknowledgement that maybe like some, some reflection and like thinking of like how everything went wrong when we thought it was going right like happened do you think we'll see some save face maneuvers by these sort of mainstream this mainstream media these neoliberal you know beltway reporters to be like yeah 
you know, we, I got fooled into thinking Trump was a fascist and he was a Russian mentoring candidate, but we need to like reflect on how we got it wrong and, oh. and, you know, move forward. <laughs> like, no, like, no. You don't even People see any like superficial puff pieces in that direction. I mean, that was a fucking <laughs> industry, man. Like there's yeah. literally one of the biggest podcasts on Patreon is a, is a podcast called Mueller. She wrote, which is just no like shit. two fucking baddie freaks talking about like Russia stuff now in 2020. I mean, even when everyone else has dropped it and it's fucking raking in the dough, you know, like it's, I mean, this was a cottage industry. <laughs> it, it was more like if you got to think of it almost like what's a like gold mining, right? Like everybody rushed out West, got their fucking piece of gold. They, you know, it's all gone. And then they fucking split back to Hungary or whatever the fuck all those gold miners were from. I guess they just moved to San Francisco. <laughs> um, and it's like, it's, there's no, like, there's not going to be any reflection on that. I mean, it's, it doesn't, there's no financial incentive for it. So why would there be any? And these aren't like, you know, I would, I would not call them sincere political. Well, they are sincere political actors, just maybe not in the way they think. Um, but, but, you know, it was, it was a lucrative business. Now that the business is done, they'll move on to the next one. Yeah. Now there is no financial incentive, uh, at least not yet, you know. Maybe there will be in the future for someone to come out with a groundbreaking book about how, you know, Russiagate was all fake or something. But yeah, that seems very <laughs> unlikely. Um, well, Liz, I don't know. Do you have anything to say about that? No, I just think it'll move. It's just one cottage industry to another. These people yeah. don't have any, I mean, you know, I think we saw there. I mean, the entire like anti-racist um like industry of self-help books or whatever that sprung up like, seemingly overnight. Yeah. Like, or whatever white fragility stuff that, uh, swept the nation. Mm -hmm. It'll just be like continued iterations of all that kind of, I mean, I think that we're going to see a, a lot of that stuff in the next couple of years. Um, but you know, I, I think it's just going to be, everyone's always got something to sell. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I guess we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, Thank you again, Brace and Liz. Thank you. That was so fun. Yeah, it was a blast. Mary Roots Radio. We got to um, have both of Martin's on sometime. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we're going to do crossover Maybe we episodes. Just talk. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's do some uh let's do some crossovers and more crossovers in the future and um yeah, and everybody out there listening, check out the True and On podcast. They have 117 episodes out already, which is pretty incredible. Um, and you guys are doing great work and uh, I recommend everybody check out your podcast thank you Rob it means a lot I'm a big fan so thank you yeah thank you so much thank you guys hey it's me again Robbie Martin just reminding our listeners out there that we couldn't be doing all this content we couldn't be putting out this many episodes if it wasn't for all of our Patreon subscribers out there. So thank you again for being a subscriber of ours. But if you aren't a subscriber of ours and you like our podcast and are a listener, please consider becoming a subscriber for as little as $5 a month. That gives you access to our bonus episode every month. We do one bonus episode for our Patreon subscribers only. And currently we are doing a multi-part series on the Freemasonic history of the United States. Part four of that will come out at the end of November to our Patreon subscribers only. 
And if you want to donate an additional $5 for the $10 subscription tier, you get access to our private Media Roots Discord channel, which has become quite active over the last couple of weeks. And if you're interested in checking out more of Brace and Liz's True Anon podcast, you can access that through pretty much any podcast platform. And I appeared on the podcast on episode 85 and episode 117. So thank you again for listening to Media Roots Radio. Take care.